Scale Models HQ is not your average online model supplier. When they started, they looked at a market full of plastic slingers selling the same old kits and knew that they wanted to bring something fresh to the table. They do sell kits, of course, but alongside your favourites like Tamiya, Hobby Boss, Bronco and Mini Art, they sell a huge range of unique and superb tools from brands that are hard to get here, like Liang, Daisho Kushu and Alexin. They also sell really good diorama materials like flowers and laser-cut wooden buildings. If, like the three of us sprue cutters, you like to tell a story, you have to see what these guys have to help you set the scene. Head to Scale Models HQ right now, but don't blame me for what happens to your wallet. Also, you can get a 10% discount on your order from Scale Models HQ by quoting the discount code SCU10 at checkout. That's SCU10 at ScaleModelsHQ.com. Friends, the show you're about to hear may contain coarse language, progressive attitudes about scale modeling, and in-depth discussion of technique and concept. If this is not your thing, get on your bike. Otherwise, please enjoy today's show while at the bench, on the drive to work, or while enjoying an adult beverage. All right, welcome aboard, gangsters, and we are back to our regularly sort of not scheduled broadcast of the Sprue Cutters Union. We've been uh, on a little bit of a hiatus because uh, my two partners in crime, Mr. Tracy Hancock. Hello. And Mr. Chris Meddings. Hello. Have had other stuff to do. Well, mostly Chris. It's all, it's really his fault. He got, I don't know, he got involved in some kind of weird, like philanthropic book thing and you know, so we've been all out of whack, but we're back. Back from being out of whack. <laughs> and clearly on fire. So <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna catch up. I feel like this is probably gonna be our usual bumpy ride because I feel like totally out of practice. I don't know about these two golden throated dudes, but you know, we'll get through it. Um, we are going to do an interview with the great and powerful James Rice. On this episode, if you don't know who he is... Shame on you. Right, exactly. He's a world-class figure painter, sculptor, and part owner of Sabo Miniatures, and that's going to be good. He's going to uh, to give us lots of good insight, um, as well as totally trash my own meager figure painting efforts. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we're going to have a discussion about style. Um, this is something that I've been wanting to do, talk about them styles, and so we're going to get into that. But first, let's see what the boys have been up to. Mr. Hancock, catch us up. Uh, well, I have had a bit of time to get to the bench over the hiatus, um, and I have finished the Japanese project finally. I uh, finished that uh, last week, I think. Uh, feels good. Um, I will probably still dig it out at some point this week and maybe uh, photograph it again. Not 100% happy with the photos. They came out pretty well, but I think I can do a little better. 
And uh, I don't know, kind of a, a landmark piece for me, as you know, went back and forth. It's really the fault of all of our wonderful guests. You know, we have so many of these guys come on and they they just sit there and make talk. Us, make us feel like shit. <laughs> no, they they make us think, you know, they make us look at our work differently. Yeah. And it's been great. And it's also been great that some of our guests have, have ended up being people that I've become close with, that I can bounce work in progress photos off of, and they're giving me great feedback. Like we've talked about before, I'm not one to throw my work up on the internet and be like, hey guys, what do you think? Like, no, it's just not... Not your style. Not quite the yeah. way I'd go. I don't think I've seen you post like, hey, I completed this project thing on the on the Japanese tank. Or did I just miss it? No, I think, like I said, I... I photographed it and put it in the display case and I've been editing the photos and I, I think before I post anything like that I'm going to attempt another round of, uh, of photography on it I spotted a couple of well, little, you, little touch-ups I need to make as well well you definitely need to post it because it is super cool I mean you, you did great and I, I think it's a great example of just working the process and using feedback and tweaking it and it really did come out good it came out really good. Um, and for sure, I've definitely changed sort of paths along the way, uh, just judging from feedback where I'll post some photos. And and it, like, I think we've talked about it before where I just would post some photos to people and they're like, eh, I don't get it. You know, what's going on in this? Like, what, what's the story you're trying to tell? I mean, if it doesn't work, you have two choices, right? You can either just push ahead, finish it, and do better with the next one. Or you can do what you can to alter it and make changes in the piece that you're still working on. So that that's what I did. I, I altered figures and a little bit of composition and added elements and, and basically just made the story make more sense visually from the first look. Um, but I will say, I think, you know, talking to all these guys, um, Gene Diorama and, uh, man, all, uh, I can't even recall just everybody that we've talked to, they all drop these little, these little things that, that just make you really turn a critical eye toward your work in a different way. And I think I would have conceptually started the project differently if I had it to do over again right now. Um, I feel like a little bit like I had to maybe make what I was working on work. Um, and I think if I had the opportunity to do it again, I would probably come up with something maybe ever so slightly different that worked a little better from the beginning, if that makes any sense, you know. Mm, makes makes total sense but you forgot to mention the alternative the other way you could be which is like this dude i got into it with on facebook yesterday surprise surprise he was he was loudly proclaiming that you should not use a matte surface for oil paint rendering and everybody else in the thread was like no bro gloss is tough that's not going to work good and he was just he was doubling down and I was like, dude, look at the work of Mike Rinaldi and Adam Wilder. Because he said, he claimed that if you use a matte surface with oils, it, 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 the pigments will soak into the surface and ruin the finish. 
I was like, that's just not true. Look at the work of Rinaldi and Wilder. And he said, well, I look at my own work. <laughs> if it's that's good the alternative. Me, it's good enough for you. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the alternative. Yeah. So that's basically been it. Just uh, I look at my own. Wow. That must be so liter- handy that you wrote your yeah. own reference. He literally, <laughs> literally said that, dude. Yeah. Well, so what's next, Hancock? I mean, you're done with the you're done with the uh, with the with the Cheeto or whatever the fuck it was called. She knew. What's, what's I and and I know you don't want to talk about it, but you know I'm going to ask, right? You've been working on something well, new and well, no, had some no. issues 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 with your paint yesterday. Uh, I've done two other things. So what's next is writing up uh, the article on the Chi New. Uh, which I haven't even really started. I've made some notes along the way. I'm trying to be a better uh, better version of myself and, and do what Tom Morgan does, which is at the every at the end of every session, sit down and, and make some notes about what you did. But I have not been great about that. Sorry, Tom. Letting you down. Um, and then I... So my Hetzer with the uh, Osketen that I finished i don't know at the end of last year i guess uh i realized what it's a what a a hooter with a house cat (laughs) (laughs) i have no idea what you just said (laughs) i have no idea what you just said it's not a piece of farm equipment it's not it's not made by john deere (laughs) or international harvester yeah it's not a tractor (laughs) hey the real we, we all know that we all know the real tigers were made by steiger uh well I realized because this what Rod Rod Steiger? Uh, no, this vehicle was was me pushing myself to be as historically accurate as I could because it's a very unique vehicle, a lot of unique features, blah blah blah. I realized that um, you guys may remember where I when I finally found a photo of the other side of the vehicle because there's very few photos of this. I realized uh, when I got that photo, I don't know, man, maybe uh, six months ago, I guess we'll call it, that I I painted a couple of the wheels the wrong color. And again, this was me being like super historically accurate. So I popped those wheels off. I repainted them to match what I had and re-weathered them to match and popped them on and thought, okay, great, I'm done. But then I kept looking at the, the reference photos that I had and realized that the 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 uh, lafette the the gret the round kind of bit that's stuck to the body of the vehicle that the gun comes out of had been replaced but the gun itself and the mantlet were original to the vehicle that it was produced you know ages ago so i had painted those two things as replacement parts when in fact the barrel was not replaced at all it the camouflage should have matched the rest of the vehicle and again just super accurate historically and it, it just kept bugging me and kept bugging me so i pulled the the barrel and the and the mantlet off and repainted those and reweathered those this week so again that'll get rephotographed and that'll get written up um and then yes i've been working on a little uh, uh short track Beffel's panzer one b that was at the pilsen uh collection yard at the end of the war and, and yes the famous uh panzer four with the 88 that rinaldi did is in the background and prior to I had it built 
Uh, but prior to painting it, I only had one photo, which is found in Panzer X-10. And then a buddy of mine from the Czech Republic uh, forwarded me two new photos of it where the camouflage scheme was a little more uh, clear and a couple of the details were more clear. And so whenever I put the Japanese tank to bed, I I had already gotten this little uh, Panzer I uh, red primered and Panzer grade uh, and chipped. And then the next step was the, uh, the three-tone camo that was painted over it. And I shag the dog on this thing, man. I really, um, like I told you guys yesterday, I just really wanted to go Godzilla on it. I, I, <laughs> it took everything in my power to put it on the ground and, and just stomp the shit out of it. That's a, I mean, we've all had those little, you know, oopses and okay, I got to unfuck this shit, but that sounds like a pretty major paint disaster. I got to ask you what happened, man. Uh, well, just to, just to finish what I was saying, I, I took a kit uh, box top and put it over it so I didn't have to look at it anymore, and I went off and got drunk. <laughs> and I have not looked at it since, and I probably won't look at it for another week. I, I just, I'm really uh, furious. And I'm furious with myself, because this is these are self-made problems. Um, I ignored every single one of our golden rules. Um, now, I know we all ignore one or two every once in a while, but I ignored them all. I ignored every one of them. I did not use a paint mule. Nope, sure didn't. I did not spray on the underside of the vehicle. I did not uh, I did not test it in an inconspicuous place. I just went straight to the top of the fucking vehicle. Sprap, sprap, sprap. Um, I put my hairspray down. I sprayed my dunkel gelb using uh, Tamiya leveled with Mr. Leveling Thinner. Uh, it was a little chalky, which was probably me not being close enough to the subject at hand. But I ignored it, and I kept going. And then uh, Darren Gall has sent me some uh, AK Real Color paint to play with, and I sprayed the green and the brown with that stuff and came out nice. Uh, color's really good sprayed pretty well i i i set my pressure pretty low thin the paint trying to do what's like, pretty low what's pretty low i don't know that's the problem i didn't really look i just cranked it down what do you normally spray at uh about 10 or 12 psi yeah, which is what I would already consider pretty low. That's why I'm asking. So you were going even lower than that. Yeah, I went even lower than that, and that's part of the problem. So what, what was going on, um, I sprayed the green, I sprayed the brown. It came out okay. And then yesterday I got the bright idea to go back with the Dunkel Gelb and like try to tighten things up a little bit, clean up a little overspray, blah, 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 blah. Um I sense some vermesh for biller runging or whatever that German word is for fucking it up when you're trying to make it better. Yeah. And there's got to be a German word for ignoring how, how badly <laughs> things are going and just pressing on. I'll fix it in post. I'll fix it in post. Uh, and this, uh, I think my pressure was too low. My paint was nice and thin, but I would get almost no paint and then paint. Like in in a 
blam. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And then almost no paint and then paint. Um, so what I ended up getting was like a nice soft spray and then meh, paints on my surface and then nice the soft spiders. spray. Yeah. And so I just fucking kept on and kept on. And finally I was like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And I loaded the cup up with paint and I sprayed the whole thing. Just oh, hosed it down. Shit. Rage spray. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, I was like up to that point. I was like, dude, this doesn't sound that bad. Yep. Well, I made it that bad. So now I have the choice. Uh, I believe again, I haven't looked at it. I either have to strip it all the way down to bare plastic or at the very least, if the paint quality on the surface is good enough, I have to start over with primer red and then panzer gray and then hairspray. And then I'm basically started all the way back to, I set myself back weeks and weeks and weeks. And at this point I fucking couldn't care less about that project. I I hope. Ouch. Yeah. I burned dinner, so I threw it away, and now I'm ordering takeout. <laughs> if you were gonna, if you were gonna strip it, how would you do it? Because I assume uh, you've got. Does it have any like? Is it only exterior paint? Like, could you dunk the whole thing if you had to? I could if I had to. Yeah, I mean, I gotcha. I would probably use. Uh, I think I've got oven cleaner here. Yeah. Man, that's gnarly, dude. I know those feels. That's, but it's, that's, it, that's... it is currently dead to me. So um, I think for the next week or so, I'm just going to be sitting here at the computer tippy-tapping and, and writing up articles for what I have finished and and doing a little photography work. And then we'll see what next week Well, you know, like. if, 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 you can, if you can dunk it, then throwing it in a bucket of, of brake fluid or IPA or or oven cleaner or whatever and then walking away from it for a few days i mean you would come back you find all that paint has ejected and you've gotten back to square one at least without a lot of effort i mean i don't know if that makes you well, I, and i feel better. like that would be really satisfying to just be like hey here you go have your acid bath you piece of shit uh-huh yeah me punishing the piece of plastic when in fact i was the one who made all the mistakes Dude, that blows. I mean, I know that that stripping it is is not the least of the. I mean, that is the least of the work to getting back to where you're happy again. Because even if you successfully get all the paint off, you got to start over. That's no fun. But yeah, if it was me, I'd strip it right back to plastic because you know you're going to be fighting against something that you really are pissed about you might as well just start over and do it all nice and clean and you know you'll learn to love yeah. it again then rather than like how do i unfuck this motherfucking bastard yeah pretty much i think that's probably the way to go yeah is there a lot of super glue on it uh no uh the only super glue on it are the 3d printed clamps okay because sometimes the stripper will loosen that stuff off when it if there was a load of PE on it, it'd be a real bitch. But you know, I should think you could stick them back on. Well, I know, I know why. You, I mean, I understand completely because, dude, I hate going backwards even a millimeter. 
and you know to have to go all the way back to the beginning of a complicated paint job it, that 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 sucks but i'm curious do you feel like you've diagnosed the issue like have you analyzed it down to you know what what was the fundamental thing or are you just like it was just a bad fucking day i think my pressure on the the compressor was too low i think it was just fighting to get the paint out um mm-hmm. my compressor was running a lot. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't like it filled the tank and then I sprayed for a while. It, it felt like it was the compressor was kicking on to fill that tank quite a bit. Um, so I just feel like the pressure was too low and it was fighting to get the paint out of the airbrush. Hmm. And again, I, I ignored every single common sense thing that we're supposed to do. I didn't try it out on a mule. You know, I didn't. I didn't really pay much attention to anything. I just like went to town. Um, which, you know, like I said, it's none of this is anybody's fault, but my own, but man, it's a kick in the balls. And it really, you know, as much as I'm like, ah, motherfucking shit, I'm really only mad at myself, (laughs) you know? Well, I feel bad dragging it out of you, but at the same time, this is good content that our listeners will appreciate because, you know, it's good to know that a superhuman model maker like you is is. Human, I'm just a normal human model maker. I'm not a superhuman model maker. Yeah, whatever, whatever. You're beyond talented and skilled. And look, sometimes shit happens. I mean, you have a bad day. Things don't go right. You know, there's, and and I think it's 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 good. It's a good it's a good reality check, for sure. I have to say. I've had exactly the same thing where there's like a blockage or it's not spraying right. And I do, I, every time I tell myself, don't do this, I whack up the pressure, I pull the needle way back and think I'll blow it out. And then it goes all over everything. <laughs> Just like, fuck you, fuck your model. And it's, you know, every time and what you should do is stop, strip it, clean it, start over. Do I, do I fuck? Cause you just want to keep on spraying, you know? And yeah. to, to, I think it is important that this is on the show because, people need to know that we're all you know we all do dumb stuff sometimes Um, or we all you know when you're in the moment you don't always make the smart smart decisions you just want to crack on and and i don't we'll do it and i don't hear it and i don't hear anything that you've described where i would go oh well there's your problem i mean unlike you know meddings deciding to mask and paint five minutes after the last coat it's (laughs) fine live life on the edge (laughs) <laughs> my, I, I can diagnose exactly what I did wrong. I, I gave myself a task to do in a certain amount of time, and oh, that's yeah. oh yeah, that caused it as well. Yeah, I had plenty yeah, of time, but in my head, I was like, okay, today here's what I'm going to get done, mm-hmm. and my. So you're forcing yourself. You're forcing yourself to push onward when things aren't feeling right. My ambition got in the way of my common sense. Like I could see everything going wrong. And I was just, I just really wanted to get to a certain point on this model. And I just kept been, going and kept yeah. going. Like I just, I, you know, like I said, just all been, my problems. Yep. I'm a poster child for that. Absolutely. I could totally relate to that one. How much were you thinning the uh, Tamiya stuff? Uh, What, what kind of milk? Is that what you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of cow? Was it Jersey? Two uh, percent skim uh, oat milk. Um, Goat milk. Uh, 
<laughs> goat milk. I don't know. Uh, fairly thin. I would I would say sixty percent thin or forty percent paints, maybe even a little yeah. more. And again, yeah. And again, there's there's nothing there that says, oh, okay, well that's that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's just it just wasn't your day, man. Yep. It sucks. All right. Well, uh, okay, we could wear this out, but Mettings. On to you, brother. What's uh, been happening in your world besides the packathon? Quite a lot, so I'll, I'll try and keep it short. I'll do a quick, if you don't mind, I'll do a quick update on the book for anyone that's interested. I I, I think we insist. All right. Book news. Will's not got his yet. Yeah, true. No, I am pissed because I got my notification from Royal Mail tracking like 10 days ago. Yeah, but you live in the black hole, Everybody's everybody's posting on Facebook that they got their copies. Uh, plus, I know that my copy of Perfect Pits is in the same envelope. And I'm like, God, come on. Yeah, I think it must be something to do with your location because you have the same problem with magazines and stuff sometimes, don't you? Well, it, I mean, you know, the stagecoach only comes by here once a week. So, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I did a stock take earlier. Uh, I've sold 800 and 20 copies out of a thousand nice wow that's awesome so if you want one there's a hundred well actually no because i've had a couple of shops order today and um when i sell books to shops they always expect a discount because you know (laughs) they're trying to make money so (laughs) i take a certain percentage off and that gives them a certain percentage to charge and then a certain percentage to cover their costs etc etc but a couple of these shops including a couple like on the other side of the world so it's costing them money to get it said no 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 no. we'll pay i've said well i'm only selling them full price they're like yeah that's okay we'll take them at full price at retail price so basically i'm getting the same per copy from them no trade discount that i would get from selling it you know to a to a a customer which is really good of them because then it means that I can't say who it is yet because I'd rather wait till they actually get the books or at least until the books are on the way to make sure, you know, many a slip to its cup and lip and all that. And um, just to make sure that they're definitely on the way. And then I'll I'll announce it because people in these countries will be quite keen to know that they can get it locally and it won't cost them quite so much maybe. So, um, yeah, so with those out, I think there's maybe 100 left. So if you want one, you better order it. Because I doubt, I don't think I'll be doing a second print run because I'm not sure a second print run would all sell, but I'd still have to pay for yeah. them all, and it would basically, mm-hmm. you know, it would it would reduce the amount. But there are other things I'm looking at, so there we go. Um, which meant, yeah, like you said, packathon. I spent nine days packing 660 books or something, literally just from morning Gnarly. till night. My family went away to visit uh, my wife's parents and i just sat there on my own and uh ordered pizza and packed books <laughs> don't worry i wash my hands before i packed your books no greasy <laughs> pe- no greasy fingerprints that seems like a lot of work for a guy who's just doing this for self-aggrandizement right yeah i mean you know i'm just scratching around <laughs> for relevance you know right yeah <laughs> there's yeah we should that's, say that's someone... chris just just trying just trying to be cool yeah just just trying to be relevant <laughs> uh yeah someone unfortunately popped on a friend's uh post about the book and basically said that i was just doing it for the attention and that i was probably keeping all the money etc etc uh, go to the Inside what, uh, the Armour Facebook page yeah. and you will see I've posted receipts for all the money donated 
to the uh, disaster emergency committee and um, I'm sure if you know if need to be I can get the disaster emergency committee to um, <laughs> to confirm it it was quite nice one of my tweets the other day was liked by their CEO which is about the uh, about the and it's like it's good to know that they you know they appreciate all the money coming in for all the people buying the book of course they do you know they're a charity and look me me and me and Tracy me and Tracy have gotten to see the real behind the scenes shit you know, so we know how hard you've been working and how stressed out you've been. And anybody who thinks <laughs> that you're just... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> well, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't gonna say that, but, but look, anybody who thinks that you're just doing this to be cool, yeah, that guy, that guy was a real turd. No, I'd, anyway, like, I'd like to meet that guy out in real life one day. And he wouldn't back down. I mean, like, like, like all your friends, which was really cool to see, showed up and were like, "Yeah, bro." You're getting it wrong, and you need to do the right thing and just apologize. And he was like, you know, just it was, yeah, a bad example of of using social media to. Anyway, sorry, I just thought that was. So there we go. (laughs) It's quite nice. I got some nice messages of support about it from actual people in Ukraine, and I thought, you know, considering they got a war to fight, the last thing they need to worry about is my social media drama. So um, yeah. Talking of which, uh, it's really good to see, I know all the other podcasts have said it, but it's really good to see that ICM, uh, Miniar, and a lot of the companies aren't just announcing new product, they're shipping product and things now, and they're getting back to normal. I don't think a lot of people realise how much, even if a model company is in a part of the country which isn't being bombed, isn't affected, or if the staff haven't been called up or whatever, there's a supply chain to model making. So... I know one of the big problems for one of the companies was that uh, they couldn't get cardboard boxes because their cardboard box manufacturer uh, was in, you know, uh, an area which was actually seeing uh, fighting in the streets and stuff. So, you know, all these things affect these companies and it's a big, big deal that they're back to normal and they're they're shipping stuff out again. So well done, uh, everyone over there and um, and good luck for the immediate and, and longer future. Anyway, so that's the book, which you can get at InsideTheArmor.com. You can also get from, <laughs> before I forget, StarlingModels.co.uk. Uh, you can also get it from BookWorldWholesale.co.uk uh, and from uh, Froom Model Centre uh, and a couple of others. I'll put them all in the show notes so that people know where they can get it. Oh, also, if you're in the uh, EU buy it from my store on ebay because then the vat and everything gets sorted out and it shouldn't get stopped at customs anyway so there's the sales pitch uh it's a good book i've actually i think i think it, uh, the feedback i'm getting the, is people you know it's yeah. a heavy book yeah, yeah. it's a it, but the content is it's not just like you're buying something because you know where the money's going i mean that's certainly yeah. the bigger portion of it but when you get the product it's actually something that is useful and enjoyable to have you know? Well, I guess. I guess. Must be nice. <laughs> Although it was made quite, you know, in, in shockingly fast fashion, uh, which is why there's a mistake, sorry, on the contents pages. Anyone that cares to have a look will notice that when I was uh, doing the layout and copying and pasting the picture with the text next to it of the model, I forgot to change the picture of the last model. So, sorry, uh, John Cosalante, <laughs> your twin Mustang doesn't appear. It's it's uh, Brett's um, pea shooter, not pea shooter, uh, Brett's uh, Lancer is dead, so sorry about that. There's probably a couple other mistakes in there, but other than that, I tried to make it as good a quality book as I would for any other book. 
just because it's charity doesn't mean you don't deserve a good product so oh you i can tell everybody he was in full-on editor mode because he popped up in my shit one day and was like bro your article's terrible <laughs> i was yeah, like it looks great on the I page spent, <laughs> i was like i wrote it in like five minutes what do you want so yeah, it he, looks like trust it. me chris was chris was <laughs> not cutting he was not cutting corners ah uh, we made a good article out of it. it was it was good in the end I yeah I mean and, and I, it was you know and you know I you love know what? I'm really pleased with the layout on that one that was that was one of my favorite ones in the book well maybe someday I'll get to see it in person yeah, maybe well when you do get to see it I'm sitting here flipping through it right now and the other thing that I wanted to mention is like the variety of content in this thing is so good yeah, someone said to me I'd get it, but I'm not into armor and it's like there's loads of aircraft in it as well <laughs> there's loads of aircraft in there and there's there's aircraft that you are familiar with and aircraft you're not familiar with. There's vehicles you're familiar with and vehicles you're not familiar with. Like it's, it's really good. Like the, the variety is, is pretty great in my opinion. Um, so again, like I'm, I'm happy to read these articles about aircraft that I have no idea what they are. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. And then I'll sit down and read the article with my cup of coffee. And, you know, it's just, it's really well done and it's, it's quite a nice book. Uh, and congratulations it's it's super effort superhuman effort everyone Um, involved including you two sure (laughs) happy to happy to what else have you been doing well i actually managed to get some bench time since then so uh i finished packing most of the books and then um well i should say actually i took a two-day break in the middle i went to the scale model factory show in eindhoven uh for those that don't know scale model factory is the club that uh our previous guest robert crombeck uh is a member of but also lots of other great people um like bart tunis and uh and uh niels henkermans and loads of good guys and it's a really great club and um because they're not doing scale model challenge this year because of world expo and because it was their anniversary i can't remember which anniversary it was sorry guys i think it's 15th anniversary uh they had a little show and it's only a one day show but i thought i'll go along and it was a club show so probably in attendance you have maybe 500 people it's not a big show but the quality was whoosh way up there it was absolutely because one of the things you have to remember they are a great club but also they're geographically well situated so they're close to uh belgium close to germany so KMK Club went, and there's some amazing modelers that go there, like Marion Van Gils and Christoph Pullings. Um, and, uh, and of course, um, Euron and Flip as well. They're members of, uh, of KMK. And um, people come over from Germany and all over, and you get some of the best modelers in Europe easily able to get to that show because it's only maybe an hour or two from their house. So the standard of the competition was really high. Uh, I judge ships, and I hate to say it, the standard of ships was not great. There was only a few ships in it, and they weren't so great. But the armour and diorama, especially the figures, was absolutely fantastic. So I really enjoyed that show. Of course, I also sold some books there, which was great. Sold out by about one o'clock. So um, went home, uh, got to walk around the show, uh, um, and uh, spent some of my own money on too much stuff. And um, since I got back... I went off again to Norfolk and went to Warhammer World and looked at their dioramas. And there's some great stuff there. It's really good. But the standard of painting is not quite, you know. Famously, their stuff is supposed to be really high standard. It's okay. Yeah. 
but you know I think I could do better no I'm joking <laughs> uh, but you know enough of that blah 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 um, I've actually done some modelling I got on with the Churchill and I got on with the um, Beechcraft C18 and took on two I thought you know why relax when you could take on two things you're not really very good at and, and try and fucking <laughs> not fuck it up one was an all metal finish on the Beechcraft which I've done all metal finishes before, but as, especially as Will, I'm sure, is, is ready to point out, if you don't get it perfect, it shows up everything. And boy, have I fucking struggled with that. Especially because I decided to use LOL clad. But anyway, that's LOL clad for those that don't go to SMCG. Will likes to call LOL clad LOL clad. Uh, <laughs> so SMG, SMCG is uh, scale model critique group. Critique group, yeah. Uh, so that's had like 10 coats of different aluminiums and I've polished everyone in between because I before I did it I polished the plastic then I laid primer and I polished that because you know you're supposed to get a really high gloss finish for a good metallic finish sprayed the metal on and it looked like wrinkly ass it really it was just like pimply wrinkly <laughs> ass so rubbed it down again sprayed it again rubbed it down Ew. again realized that one of the outclass was probably off realized that probably one of the outclass was off so that you know it gone bad in the bottle and that's why i was getting a peely finish because the others weren't doing it and they also i haven't used alcla for a long time they're very old bottles so polish that and now i've just given it a the top a coat of um what do you call it mr color um gunze uh one one three yeah the gloss right yeah the gloss yeah as yeah, as GX. recommended by mr patterson oh sorry 100 gx 100 GX100, um, yes, fantastic stuff. The main reason I did that was partly to make sure the metal had a good shine, but I'm going to be doing masks. And uh, I thought if I make a mistake, rather than having to strip the metal and everything then, because Will recommends it as being bulletproof, I should be able to just take the paint off without removing the, the GX100. I should be able to, you know, polish it off or whatever and without damaging the metal underneath. So did that. Uh, Churchill icy road I got halfway through it and realized I don't know how to do an icy road so <laughs> I uh, I covered it in AK uh, clear water still water bad fucking mistake because that stuff's good for water but it's like rubbery so you can't I wanted, what I was going to do is grind it so it was like ice that had been scraped up you can't grind it it's like rubber it just you know it either tears or it bounces off so I've used their sprinkles and laid ice on top, but I'll um, I'll put some photos up of where I'm at with that. It's got a long way to go yet, but finally I feel like I'm getting somewhere with it. So there we go. That's my very lengthy report. No, that's that's good stuff for sure, for sure. Well, so uh, for myself, um, yeah, I've been tinkering. I can't. It's, it's been so long. And I hope you, I hope that listeners realize that this is literally us catching up. We we I yeah, mean, we haven't done this for this what is, this, a month, right? We, we yeah. yeah we haven't done it for a right. month. So we so this is this is this is us literally just <laughs> hanging out and chatting about what we've been doing. And I can't remember because it's been so long. If I talked about the foil thing last time, I I, I think I think I did find. I think I might have mentioned that I found. Um, one of the issues with with the foil that I was trying to polish 
was that kitchen foil is all a really soft alloy um, and soft materials just don't polish that well. You see the same thing with clear coats. Like if you're doing a car model and your clear coat's not super hard, you're just not going to get as good of a polish out of it. And the same thing is true of metals. And, um, and pretty much all foils are a really soft... It, aluminum comes in a range of hardnesses and it's dead soft. And um, somebody had suggested that I pick up some shim stock, which is full hard. And I did, and it was, and I finally got around to tinkering with it a couple of weeks ago, and it polishes so beautifully. Like, it's amazing. Like, within seconds. I mean, it's amazing. But the problem is that it is slightly too thick. And so I've been on the search ever since then. It is, it's, to put it in uh, American terms, it's one mil, which means one thousandth of an inch thick. Or mm. um, what is that? Uh, one thousandths is point two five millimeters. No, because yeah. eighth hour is point two. Oh, no, oh, point, 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 point one point one millimeters is four mils. So okay. it's point oh two five. So this is point oh two five millimeters, and. Even heavy-duty kitchen foil is about 0.8 mils, so slightly thinner. Um, but I can't. I haven't, I've been really struggling to find it. I, fi- I, t- I finally talked to a supplier uh, yesterday, in fact, who says that they have some stuff that's half as thick as what I have, but the same hardness, and they're going to get me some samples. Because um, part of the problem is this is a serious industrial material, and they want you to buy like a hundred pound roll. So, you know, yeah. getting, getting, getting six square inches to just test out has been real challenging, but I have high hopes for it because, because with it, uh, with it being a bit harder and, and a little thicker than kitchen foil, what that means is that the de- surface detail from the, from the plastic doesn't want to come through. You know, like if you're using if you're using bare metal foil or whatever, and you and you, I mean it's really easy to burnish it and get all the rivets and everything to show through. Not so much with this stuff. So I'm hoping that thinner will give me that property, but also give me the super polishability that I'm looking for. So we'll see. You don't think the tensile strength might be a problem with it with the hardness of it? That it just won't want to pop. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, you know, we'll see. It may not it may not conform to curves as well. You know, we'll see. But but if I could just overcome the polishing thing and get it where it's got no surface defects, that's 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 my goal. That That's the number one thing. And uh, so anyway, we'll see. Um, anyway, I've also been uh, I got into a new kit design project uh, because <laughs> tractors <laughs> I, you know, it, it was going to happen eventually, and I bought, uh, I mean, you know, there's virtually no tractor kits out there that are that are really that significant. Um, there's nothing that represents iconic American farm iron, um, except this one Eastern European resin thing that I bought a, a year or so ago, and it turns out to just not be good. Uh, it's got some accuracy issues, but more it's than that, it's just the molding. 
Yeah, and it's you know it's it's resin, and it's just honestly, it's just not that good. And I I was deter initially I was like, well, I'm gonna just use I'm gonna do some design and 3D printing and make some of the parts like the wheels on my own, and use the rest of the kit. And that very quickly turned into fuck. I might as well design the whole damn thing. <laughs> so. So yeah, that's how the madness starts, and I am fully into doing a complete kit design of this thing. It's called a Steiger Tiger, about a 1975 model, and it is truly, for American farmers, it is truly iconic, and um, I've just been having a huge amount of fun with it. Like, I can't stop working on it. Uh, it's, you know, I've got, I'm lucky enough to have um, nearby actual machinery that I can go look at and take pictures of and and come back home and do you know do do CAD work and it's just it's been a lot of fun I have to like kind of pull myself away from it uh, because I do also have this Ming Hornet that I'm supposed to be working on you not finish that yet uh, <laughs> <laughs> so here's a confession all right since Tracy was talking about us his paint problems here's a confession i i kept getting myself sucked into working on this other stuff like i was uh, like i was like oh i've designed some 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 tires or whatever for the for my tractor project i need to 3d print those and test fit and do this and do that and i kept thinking i should get back to the hornet but i just was getting sidetracked and one night in the midst of being a little stoned and just kind of reflecting on things, I was like, holy shit, I'm procrastinating on the Hornet because I'm afraid. I was like, and I started thinking about it. It's not a real Hornet, Will. I know, I know. But I was, but, but I was afraid of getting stung. It's a modern (laughs) Hornet, not a murder Hornet. I know it was, but, but I, so here's, here's what was going on in my head. I really focused on getting a certain patina on on the overall finish of the airframe. And, you know, that's from studying reference photos and looking at the work of some other guys who have done some really good-looking Hornets. And I just was – I'm really focused on getting a certain look. And – I wasn't like freaked out about what other people were going to think of it as much as I was just really having a lot of angst about satisfying myself. Um, you know, just being able to get the particular look, that sort of micro finish that I wanted. And I was like, when did this happen? That I suddenly became afraid of working on something. And so I was did immediately you know- the next day. Why was it you? Did you know how to do it? Was it because you weren't quite sure how to achieve what you wanted to do, or was it because you're just worried about fucking it up? What was it? No, there was there was some of that. There was some of the same issue that goes on with me all the time, like with this whole thing with the foil, like being un- just completely unwilling to compromise on the on the look of the finish that I'm after, and I just was not I wasn't completely sure that my techniques were going to be up to it um I mean even though I did it on the on the weapons and the pylons and I was satisfied with that I don't know why I just was inside my own head and I just I immediately the next day I was like stop the stinking thinking go clean off the workbench 
put away all these distractions and get to painting. And so I did. And I'm basically, I'm, I'm now after about uh, a week of painting and sanding and all these different things, the bottom, <laughs> the bottom is done um, with the, with the basic color. I uh, haven't even gotten to any of the con corrosion control or anything beyond that because um, now I'm waiting on getting some uh, dark ghost gray so I can start working on the top side. But I feel, you know, I feel, pre I feel pretty good about it. I've been showing it in SMCG and I've been getting pretty good feedback. So hopefully I'm on the right track, but I had to, I had to uh, do a little bit of unfuck that shit because there's a joint between the nose section and the rest of the fuselage that I thought was supposed to be a panel line. And I left it there. In fact, I actually worked. I didn't. And I, and I actually worked pretty hard to actually filled it and rescribed it because I was not satisfied with the <laughs> joint as, as the panel line. So you fixed um, it and then I, you fucked it up. Uh, yep. Yep, I Verschlimmer Besserung the shit out of that. Um, and then uh, uh, Christoph Tunison was looking at one of my pictures and he was like, dude, what about that seam? And I was like, what seam? You know, and immediately I was incensed. I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? There's not a seam within a thousand miles of that picture. And then after I calmed down, I went and looked at my reference photos and I was like, oh, <laughs> oops, Busted. oops. Yeah, so there's a door there. So part of it is supposed to be there. And then the rest of it is much, much less, um, you know, visible. So I filled it and, and sanded it, painted it. And it, you know, looks looks like, you know, looks fine. And then, of course, John Chung came back and was like, dude, are you sure there's not a panel line there? And he <laughs> he dropped some photos that show up close that you can see there is actually a joint in the skin right there. <laughs> so you, you uh, fixed I, it. Yeah. And I fix it again. <laughs> I was, yeah. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. I'm 100% certain there is not a panel line there now. And, and it... And it kind of works because Please go see. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah, no. no, because the truth is that, that on that kit, Ming, I mean, the detail that's there is really good. It's very lovely surface detail. But it's, while it's not quite Hasegawa minimalism, it is pretty minimal. Uh, there's not, it, It's not completely riveted. And it does not have all the panel lines. And so not having one there kind of fits. And if I put one there, then I'm going to be like, well, shit, now I got to go do everything else. And that's not happening. So I I'm, hope you, you know, don't I'm mind me saying it. this, but I thought the panel line before looked a little bit rough. Well, it did it, because now it's neat, you know. Yeah, it, it truly did because it was a joint. And yeah. He, I mean, I mean, you know, there's Tamia are the only guys who can successfully pull off a joint as a panel line. I, I, I will, I will stand by that hard and fast. Nobody else can pull it off. Bandai. They always look like shit. Maybe so. Bandai, maybe. I haven't ever seen any of their attempts at that, but I wouldn't be surprised if they can do it. But, but it is. It's just, and 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 
I, you know, and then the truth is that I should not have settled to begin with. And so I really appreciated Christoph calling me out on it because uh, it needed to be dealt with. And, and, and yeah, if you thought it looked rough and you didn't say anything before, dude, what the hell, man? I thought we were friends. No, it's the first time I saw it when you put it up and Christoph commented on it. It's all good of which we should get him on. He's a really good aircraft modeler. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do, we do. He's he, we need. You know, we've definitely got him on our list of of need to need to talk tos because um, he is. He's a fantastic uh, aircraft modeler and does a lot of other cool shit too. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, that's it. Let's do a break. Let's pay some bills. Gangsters, let's talk about the details, because I think you'll all agree, the details matter. And if you're as obsessed by detail as we are at the Sprue Cutters Union, you should be buying parts from Anna's. Look, I've known Tom Anna's for a while, and I can tell you that he is a man with a single-minded dedication to improving detail, whether it's 3D printed parts like knobs, switches, connectors that you can use in cockpits, decals, braided lines for your engines and hoses, or even 3D files that you can print at home on your own 3D printer, Tom's got you covered. He's really thought this through because he's a model maker and he uses this stuff himself. And now, Anis is also the European Union seller for the new book from Inside the Armor called Perfect Pits. So, not only can you buy the stuff you need, you can read all about how to use it in this neat little volume that our very own Chris Meddings has produced, and it includes articles from Tom, your own Veen, and myself. And, don't forget, you can get a Sprue Cutters Union exclusive discount, 15% off when you enter the code SCU at checkout. So... If the details matter as much to you as they do to us, head on over to Anis, that's A-N-Y-Z, dot I-O right now and arm yourself with everything you need for your very own perfect pit. Hey, Sprucrodus, Chris here. By now, you should all know that my favourite photo etch manufacturer is tetramodel.com from South Korea. Tetra make the best photo etch I've probably used. It's always really finely detailed, nicely etched, clean and precise with the best parts that are easy to fold and easy to use. Tetra have now added some exciting new products to their 135th and 172nd AFE lines and to their ship modelling lines. All this in addition to their already outstanding range of armour, air and AFV photo etch and detail upsets. Go to tetramodel.com or ask your dealer about Tetramodel photo etch and detail upsets today. All right, so I have been wanting to chat you guys up about style. It's a, it's a topic that's that's near and dear to my heart because I pay a lot of attention to it. Um, it's it's a thing that's that's hard to come by in scale modeling, um, but we you know we know that there are some guys out there and some gals too 
who have a very recognizable style. And I know that, that the three of us have all been inspired by the style of, of some of our favorite uh, builders, artists. And so I just, you know, and I don't know that 20 or 30 minutes is enough to really get into it. But I just, you know, it's, it's a subject that I thought would be good to talk about. And so I think what I want to start with is kind of asking you guys, um, what is it like, what does style mean to you guys in the artistic sense and the model making sense? Um, and how do you, you know, how do you think about it? That's easy. Easy peasy, well, get brother. get to it. Then get I, to I, it. I think Let's style is a distillation of all of your influences that you've absorbed and all the sort of aspirations that you have for yourself. When you, when you see something you really like in another person's work, you know, strongly enough that you're like, oh, that's, that clicks with me. That's something I want, you know, I want in my own work or that's, that's always how I've envisioned that thing too, you know? So you just absorb that sort of stuff and, and it distills out uh, through your efforts to, um, to replicate and, and to sort of combine with what you're doing that, you know, other people have influenced. That's my take. Right on. Right on. What about you, Maddox? Uh, I'll go the philosophical route. Um, your style is your voice. It's who you are represented through your work. And Ooh, it's, yeah. um, it's, so yeah, who you are is built up on influences. Just like people talk about like, oh, should you copy? Should you do this? Do this, do this. Style is just like anything else in life. You don't, you're not born knowing how to walk and talk. You learn it from people. And then you mm-hmm. learn other things from people along the way. And it's just styles is the same. It's just like anything else in life. You pick up little bits here and there, put them together, and that combination is yours. But also, your personality chooses that combination. So that's why it's your voice. It's not like you're just a mishmash of other people. You're a curated combination of things you've taken from other people. And maybe things you found yourself. Although the whole thing in modeling about discovering new techniques you know it's a bit like there's only i don't know what is it they say eight stories in the world boy meets girl boy meets girl whatever you know (laughs) there's only so many ways to use a brush a paint and a model and mix them together but the combination of things you do and maybe finding a, a i don't want to go on for too much of a tangent but when tracy says you you pick up a technique from someone you do but i bet you guys find this you start off doing it the way they do it and maybe you change the way you do that technique to better fit your work because that that benefits your personality and the way you work with tools and everything else so that becomes your thing then you know over time but also i think style is should be recognizable it should be yours and you, you know yeah there's a difference between technique and style and I, and I think that that may be sort of an aha moment for, for some guys. I, I think, I mean, because you use technique to create style, right? That's how you, that, that's how you build it. Well, I actually think style I, is more in your eye than it is in your technique. It's your aesthetic. It's not the... the right. Yeah. Right. The, the, the technique is just the vehicle to get yeah. you there. I, I agree with both of you guys. I think that both of those points of view uh, are, are true. I think there's also a certain amount of just how you're wired. Um, Mm. Like for example, you know, the way you see color, I think is going to have an impact on your style. 
Um, your visual acuity is, is going to have an impact on your style. Uh, you know, I kind of think of style in like, and, and I should also go back up a little bit. I, I believe that a lot of model makers probably don't ever think about style at all. And that's understandable because I think we all started out with no style. <laughs> we just, you know, we just built, we just built something that we thought looked cool and that was it. And, you know, and, and it, there's a kind of a spectrum that goes all the way from something that is sort of mono, monochrome, very basic, no, no weathering, single color, you know, clear down over to the other end of the spectrum where you've got, you know, something more like Adam Wilder, who uses a lot of colors and a lot of saturation and a lot of layers and I don't think that I realized that until I was pretty far down the road with model making. That style is a thing, that there are some guys out there who have recognizable styles, and that it's, you know, that that at a certain point, developing your own style is, uh, is a way to not only put your own voice out there for what you want to do, but also to build those skills. And uh, I think that it kind of represents like like for guys who are sort of like, well, I'm feeling stagnant. I'm not really sure where I want to take my model making. I'm kind of bored with it that maybe this is the point where you go, oh, OK, that's where that's what I need to figure out is, you know, what's what sort of styles do I like? How do I you know, how do I how do I use the techniques that I that I'm familiar with to create that style what new techniques do i need to learn so i think this is uh that this might be you know hopefully this will open some new doors of thought for some guys and that brings me go ahead chris it also depends on where you start from because a lot of guys start from this idea that modeling is all about realism and then there's lots mm -hmm. of people there to tell them what realism means and that mm -hmm. if, if right. you you know obviously you can have a style within any kind of modeling including realism but i think you know there's more option for more individuality probably at the artistic end but yeah and also i think in the internet age it a lot of people struggle to find a style because unlike in the old days where pre-me actually because i kind of got into modeling again in the internet age but as i you know if you think about it previously your style might be influenced by your club and by your friends whereas now everyone has access to the same models so Mm -hmm. styles tend to homogenize and it's more difficult ever than ever probably to have an individual style well and you make up a you bring up a really good point you know like with the realism thing <clears throat> i mean even that is even that there's a lot of subjectivity to and all of this is really subjective you know we're not going to say one style is better than the other because you know whatever it is it's your truth if you like you know spanish school high contrast high saturation you know <laughs> chris does not we know that um if you you know if you like if you like to appreciate every single panel line on your aircraft model um if you like figure painting with with super bright neon colors you know whatever it is you know those are all styles those are all expressions of 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 your own personal aesthetic and it's all good I mean, it, you know, there's nobody should tell you that one thing is is wrong, and unfortunately, we do see some of that in, in scale. IPS. But 
<laughs> hey, look, even I, I even think of IPMS as a style. I mean, you know, like you see a lot of guys who are serious IPMS builders who have a very similar style. And that's totally cool. I mean, and, it, you know, we've talked about kind of how, how that might have evolved. But the important thing is to, to me anyway, to sort of figure out, you know, what style you like. Uh, so that's my next question for you guys um, is to pick an example um, of somebody's steez that you dig and talk about why. And, uh, you know, we're going to throw up some pictures so that uh, listeners can see the what and the why. So, um, so Hancock, I'll start with you again. What, uh, who's your pick for your favorite style or for who inspires you? So, uh, when you threw out the topic of conversation, I assumed that we were maybe going to talk about who was the biggest influence on our style or, or somebody that you saw their work and you were like, I think maybe we were, and I just totally misread it. But carry on. <laughs> we'll get to that. Well, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. It, it, it's, part of the, it's all part of the conversation. Well, so I went back in time, as you can tell from the photos that I gave you guys, um, way, way back. Uh, that's, that's me. Back in time. <laughs> back in time to, uh, man, uh, I, I guess some of Rinaldi's first work um, when he was publishing stuff in uh, military miniatures and review and his stuff was on missing links and being photographed on colored backgrounds, you know, that that's how old these photos are. But um, I, I clearly remember. His, got a, uh, I'm peering at them face on. Yeah, he does. I'm looking at this thing on the computer screen right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make well, this easy well, for you. I, Carry on, Tracy. Um, so, yeah, I pulled up uh, his his Joseph Stalin 3, or sorry, 2, JS2, and his, uh, his E100 that he, uh, he fabricated the, a, a new turret for that Trumpeter ultimately stole and, and released as a kit. Um, yeah. yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? Yeah. So it was just something about uh, his, I'm going to call it artistic realism. You know, it was, he was, he was trying to replicate uh, textures and sheens and colors in a, in an authentic way on plastic scale models that really clicked with me. Like his, everything he built, 135th scale plastic or resin, whatever it may be, it all looked metal and heavy and had the right sheen. It had the right, like just everything looked in my mind, like a tank should look. Um, and so I, I immediately kind of latched onto that. And as, you know, as time goes by, like I, I've told the story about calling him up on the phone um, but as, as time goes by, it's his work has further clicked with me because of his use of oil paints and oil paints are difficult. Uh, there's a learning curve to them that, especially if you're trying to, re to create a painting on canvas and create the colors you want, which 
I think a, a lot of that is outside the scope of modeling. But in order to to mix oil paints to get those colors, it's there's a big learning curve. And get your shot glass ready because I'd already gone to art school. I knew how to use oil paints. So him applying oil paints to a model in the way he was applying them, I was like, oh, shit. Like, there's not anybody else doing that. That's a medium that I'm already familiar with. So a couple of things like that clicked on. But, yeah, I mean, this stuff is its old, and I couldn't find any better photos of it. And I'm sure he's going to cringe when he sees these being brought up because I know he could – even by his own admission, I guarantee he would say I could do so much better with these now. But this yeah, was, but we're talking well, about it, what influenced you at the time, aren't we? So. I guess. Yeah, yeah, um, and this is this is the this is the first time I've ever looks like metal, and it looks like the primer looks right, the dust looks right, the the sheen on the you know the the toe hook uh, eye right there, just everything these little subtle things and, and and that was the other thing i really liked about it it was subtle like it wasn't garish it wasn't uh exaggerated to my eye in a, in a way that made it seem i don't know uh, clownish or buffoonish or anything it was like you could clearly see the hand of somebody like really focused on trying to make this look as realistic as what he sees in the real world and translating that onto a plastic bottle, and that that little yeah, fire this in is... me, I was just like, okay, yeah, this is this is encapsulating a lot of where I want to be. Um, and I was by no means even remotely close to this at the time that this stuff was being published, but I, I latched onto that and I was like, okay, these are my goals. That's that's the carrot that's dangling in front of me that I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna move towards. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever seen any of his really old stuff. And you can totally see the genesis there. You can see yeah. how it started. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's things about this that, that don't look anywhere near the the standard he's doing now. And I'd hope he'd take that as a compliment because it shows how hard he's worked. But um, you can see a lot of the techniques there that later become really refined. And actually... <laughs> they're done much better than I could do back then anyway, but he's refined them even more now and they're even more impressive now. Yeah. The you can definitely see and, the, yeah. right. You can definitely see how it's evolved over time and his techniques are much more refined. So anyway, this is good stuff. I, I think this is instructive for people to, you know, look at these images and compare it to Rinaldi's current work. Um, which is one of my own inspirations and really, you know, be, be able to see that, you know, it is an evolution. It is a journey and skills evolve. You know, even a guy like Rinaldi, he didn't, you know, he didn't pop out of the crib able to do the stuff that he's doing now. And it just takes time and effort to, to develop. Um, so this is cool. This is good for multiple reasons. Mettings, what about you? Who's uh, your pick for uh, your inspirational love? Uh, I'm afraid uh, I didn't do the homework properly. <laughs> so, of course. <laughs> uh, which wouldn't be the first well, time but... because my dog ate it. Um, okay, I will say that my influence, who defined the style I've got now, the influences that, that led into that, were 
uh, Mike Rinaldi, and I've told this story before, so sorry to be boring, but I was very much, when I got back into modelling, I went out and bought kits and I built them and I painted them and I didn't really look at other people's stuff too much, I just did it. And then I went into uh, WH Smith's news agency here and picked up, I've said this so many times, sorry guys, the uh, copy of Airfee Modeler with Adam Wilder's uh, Panther F, I think, on the cover with, with, with colour modulation issue. And my brain just went, bah! just like, Jesus, modelling can look like this. So after that, I went to Euromilitaire and I soaked up all the work that I saw there. People like Ivan Cocker and uh, I think Mike Rinaldi was there that year. And um, all these guys, and I wanted to do... But I didn't understand it. I saw it as a heavy weathering tech, uh, style because that's what everyone else called it. You know, that's what all the IPMS guys and that called it. They didn't talk about the subtleties of it or the skill of it or the layering of it. They called it heavy weathering. So I got into that and I did that. And for a long time, I've just been refining that. And I've been looking at things like uh, that uh, Mike Rinaldi does with the, like you were saying, Tracy, with, on the tow hook there the way he darkens edges. So even if it's not to look like metal, it's to look like where the paint's been rubbed and um, and you get the grease marks on it and everything in it. Polishes it and also to a slightly darker colour of the base colour. So you get that sort of effect. And I think he's um, he's especially nailed it actually when you look at Sherman's because Sherman's being so heavily matte, the paint on them, attract dust like a magnet. So you really do notice that on the edge where hands and things rub off the dust. You do get that polishing. And he's, I think... It was in one of the uh, tank art books and it was a Pershing he was doing or something. But I just yeah. looked at that and thought, wow, he's absolutely fucking nailed that. And for a long time, I wanted to do realism, but the kind of dirty realism. But I've come to a point where it's just not speaking to me anymore. And I want to do... I've gone from wanting to do a photographic style of modelling, you know, like realism, like you would see in a photograph and everything else, and um, my, my Churchill's book and everything is about that. It's about looking at a photo and copying the photo. And all the scratch building and all the detailing I do, it's about making it as realistic as possible and everything else. I'm not remotely interested. I've come to a point where I'm not that interested in realism anymore, where I want things I make to look like a painting, not like a photograph. So my new influences and the people <laughs> whose style I want to bring into my own which is how I came to like not do the homework properly, is um, uh, Jean Diorama because of his use, his daring and bold use of colour and the way the colour is the story quite a lot of the time in what he does. That, you know, without the colour, there wouldn't be a story there. He, he uses that incredibly effectively. And uh, Kirill Konev because of his use of light and shadow. And I want to make, basically I want to make my, models look more like a painting more like chiaroscuro or um uh like renaissance painting or um maybe not so much renaissance a bit too stylized but um like caravaggio very strong light and very strong shadow and that's what i, I want to go like deep artistic and it might just be because i'm fed up of reading people talking about our modelling's about realism so it's a big fuck you to them but <laughs> <laughs> it's basically yeah i want to go far more that direction so i'm looking more to figure painters yeah and the figure painting world is is where you can really see the differences in style the most 
Um, I mean, you know, what we're going to talk about with, with James Rice here in a little bit, we get a pretty clear example because, because you know, like he and I have both done the same piece to very different styles. And it's, it's not so much that either one is, is right or wrong, but I think that like one thing I've had to come to deal with is, is like on figure painting, like I'm like you, I, I pursue what I view as realism. And, and that's what I was after when I did my Viking bust. And, you know, I, I, I kind of, the responses to it were kind of meh. And that included me, that included my own response to it. Like I'm looking at it on my desk right now and I'm kind of like, meh, you know, it seems like it's reasonably well executed, but it's just not like, wow. And one of our SMCG guys put it really succinctly when we were talking about this. He said that in figure painting, the most obvious painting styles are what gets rewarded. And yeah, the, at the moment, the heavily stylized stuff is, is the most popular. There are really good figure painters that paint in a realistic way. I mean, David Parker, for one, is incredibly naturalistic yeah. style. Mm-hmm. Also, sure. yeah. David Lane has a very natural style as well that isn't mm-hmm. you know isn't pushed to the limit it, it's um i don't want to say subtle because that's a synonym a synonym to some people to boring <laughs> it's naturalistic <laughs> right it looks like a person looks rather than like a painted figure looks you know right right it's uh i mean it's it's the you see the same thing in in photography and the and the fact is that our brains are just wired to respond to higher levels of contrast and brighter colors. And you can use that in photographic composition to point the viewer's eyeballs where you want them to be. And it's a little bit more difficult with scale modeling, unless you're building a diorama, to, to do that in a calculated way. But but you can see it in the way that people respond to certain styles. I mean, look, whether you like the Spanish school or not, if you like color modulation or not, the fact is it's eye-catching, right? I mean, it pops. And and I think that that's a big part of the reason why it becomes popular, because our brains just like that. Um, and, you know, it, it gets into what sort of makes up style. I mean, contrast is one thing. The colors you choose is one thing. The amount of saturation that you choose is one thing. And what I kind of hear you saying is that you want to move towards a higher contrast, maybe higher saturation uh, way of depicting your your, your work. A, a more drama is basically what I'm yeah. going for. Yeah, drama is kind of a yeah, drama is kind of a way that I put it. A but lot there of are times. other reasons. It's not just the light and the shadow. I I love working with a brush, and there's more yeah. brush painting involved in it in the, the tiny little details and what have you and adding the light and showing stuff. And also I want to move towards more storytelling. So when I say I want it to look like a painting, paintings usually, you know, older paintings, figurative painting tells a story usually. So I've just been hanging out with too many figure guys while we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, they it's 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 eye opening for sure. But I you know, and, and it is tougher to find style in with vehicles, ordnance, whatever you want to call it. I know I still feel like I'm kind of hunting for my own, but I think I want to round this out with talking about what what kind of my current influences are and kind of tie together what you guys have talked about because Rinaldi has been one of my influences for a long time. I mean, I love his work. I feel like he 
for me, with his current work, has captured the intersection of looks cool and looks real more effectively than anybody else. Um, I love the fact that when you look at his work, you can practically count the layers. Like, Like, you know, this was chipping, this is an oil stain, this is a streak. You can, you can count those effects because they're so clearly separated because he has such good control. And I've always felt like, you know, his level of contrast was really realistic. His level of saturation was, was really realistic, very photographic. And I love that. But then I started looking more at the work of, you know, like Martin. Um, his work is higher contrast mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and Adam Wilder, I mean, his work, definitely, I think of the three of them, his work has, has the highest level of contrast and saturation more than I want, but still, I love it. It's, it's, it's amazing work. And the guy that I want to talk about is, um, kind of in between there. In fact, (laughs) when I was, when I posted some of this, Somebody, somebody in the group was like, oh, Adam Wilder and Mike Rinaldi had a baby. <laughs> and, and it's true. It's true. When I, I, I was like, yeah, that's pretty accurate. And, and this specifically is the work of, and I hope I say this right, uh, Yang Lei Zheng. Um, he's Chinese, I believe. Um, he also has a page on Facebook that's uh, called Mumu, Mumu Zheng. Um, again, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, we've tried to get him on the podcast, but he's afraid that his spoken English is is not quite good enough. But I would really encourage uh, listeners to get over to his page and check out all of his stuff. Uh, and, and I think you'll see what I mean. Uh, his his color saturation is somewhere between Wilder and Rinaldi, um, but he still maintains that really authentic level of separation between effects. You know, you can see clearly where the chips are. You can see clearly where the stains are. But I also love that with his colors and his saturation, he brings a lot of local tonal variety. Uh, like in this picture that we're looking at right now of this, what kind of tank is this? Uh, some the boxy KV-1. Russian thing. KV-1. The KV-1. So, um, and this is a great comparison because I know one of one of Adam Wilder's most well-known things is his KV-1. Um, probably more than, probably done multiple uh, multiple uh, depictions of that. But if you look at this, like he's got d- really different tones as you travel around the top view of it, and I just love that. It's it's not. I mean, it's anything but monochrome. I mean, you could you know, justify painting the entire thing and whatever your version of 4BO, right? That's the Russian green color for these things. You know, a lot of guys will just paint the whole thing, one color, and that's fine. If that's what you like, that's cool. But I don't think that there's a square inch on this piece that has a single color in it. Uh, and and I just, I love that. It, It To me, it just makes it more visually interesting. It's more arresting. It keeps my eye moving around. Um, and to me, you know, that's, that's the goal, right? Yeah. Engagement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, we look at, we're bombarded with images of scale models, you know, through social media and they 
you know, they start to look the same after a while. And so to me, when I find something that's, that's really, you know, really stands out for me, um, it's important and it definitely informs my own style. Now, a lot of guys think of, if you're familiar with, with uh, his work, a lot of guys think of, of Mumu Jiang as being only an armor modeler, but he is also an aircraft guy. He just doesn't do as much of it. And so I, you know, searched back through his, his uh, photos on his Facebook page, and uh, I spent a lot of time looking at his Hornet because it's the same Hornet kit that I'm working on. So again, I, you know, looking for cues to take from his work, looking for things I like, things I don't like. And I, what I really like about the way he depicts aircraft is that he definitely brings his armor style over to aircraft. And, and that's something that I just don't think we see a lot of. And I'm kind of hoping that with this conversation, maybe we'll inspire some aircraft modelers out there to spend more time looking at what the armor guys are doing. Because honestly, I believe that a lot of the effects are common. You know, paint fades. Doesn't matter what kind of vehicle it's on. You know, oil stains, diesel stains, aircraft, you know, kerosene, Jet, jet A, whatever it is, it stains like diesel stains. And so I think there's a lot to be learned from sort of cross-pollinating and looking at other people's style. And, you know, the problem this is, is though, ob- people silo. They say I'm an aircraft modeler and I'm an armor modeler. Oh, yeah, totally. totally. And then they and buy into do this that. bullshit that you can't do aircraft if you do armor because it's a steep learning curve because it's a different genre. Mm-hmm. No, fuck that. Just build whatever you want. In fact, uh, this is why uh, Danny Zamabid has that flying tanks page because people say he paints right. his aircraft like like tanks. <laughs> <laughs> and and good for him. I my yeah, you right. know my 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 call to action here is more model makers should be doing that. Uh, I just you know there's a lot to be learned from the armor guys in in how they create those those effects. So. You know, I think that this is kind of honestly just sort of the tip of the iceberg when it comes to style because we could spend a, an hour just digging into the minutia of one person's style and and the techniques that they use to accomplish that. And maybe we do that somewhere down the road, but honestly, I just kind of wanted to open the kind of open the door to that conversation with you guys and you know, just kind of see what your thoughts were. I think uh, kind of to speak to what Chris was talking about, like I have, I can easily peg my influences and and I can tell you all about, you know, how when I recognized a technique or something, I would immediately start trying it until I became comfortable enough with it to incorporate it in what I was doing. Um, It's not, maybe not stylistically, but what I'm trying to push right now has been a product of all the people we've talked to, you know, like I, I've built dioramas, but I don't think I've built a good diorama yet. Like that's just something that we've, the people that we've talked to have really kind of had me looking closely at their work and my work and my ideas for what I want to do. And, and I just, I feel like, one of the thing, one of my goals, I guess, is is to push my diorama work where I can say that I've built a good one, at least one good one, you know. 
and in that and in that effort, I suspect that you're picking specific things, like to to identifying specific things and and then working on those specifically, right? Yeah, like uh, you know, you're talking about color and saturation and things like that, and and it's interesting that I don't feel like I've seen anybody in the modeling world really really push um, using color as a focal point and to really draw the eye in in the same way that Mike Blank does. Like I, I look at his work and it, it tells you exactly what you're supposed to be looking at. And there's just enough color and, and the, the surrounding elements to make sure those elements work towards not only pointing at what you're supposed to be looking at, but giving them enough interest that you linger on them and then they redirect you back to the focal point. Like, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, just something as simple as a, a tank sitting on groundwork with a couple of figures in the turret talking. Like, you could really kind of point the focus towards those figures and kind of desaturate everything else as it gets lower to the ground. And that would be really cool, but I haven't seen anybody do that yet. It's that's true. It's something true. I've been thinking about, and that's that's kind of why I'm looking at the, the figure thing. Yeah, to put all the saturation and the light and the focal point and desaturate and dark as you move away from it. Yeah, to, to it's sort of, it's you know. the it's the equivalent in photography of using a vignette on a photo. You know, where you darken the outer yeah. edges of the photo so that the the focal point remains bright and the most eye-catching and yeah doing something like that in three dimensions you know i mean that kind of requires a diorama but I, you know i mean maybe maybe there's some you could do you it can do on a, you could do it yeah, on you a, could do a standalone model yeah yeah, yeah a figure could, for sure yeah. Yeah. you could do it on, yeah, a, tank do it on a tank with a couple of figures like you could do that and i think the other thing the other thing that's always influenced me is the paintings that i I grew up loving like the reason I went to art school was basically NCYF like his illustrations just they always do everything that I'm talking about you know you, you know what you're supposed to look at it and I've, I've been lucky enough to to see some of his work in real life and it's massive it's way bigger than you think it is which I love and from across a room it's so even though it's 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 not realistic the illusion of realism is so strong that from across a room you feel like you could stick your head in the painting and look in either direction and the scene would continue past the borders of the frame absolutely it's very so, photographic in that way so just that there's no denying that, that seeing those things in real life and studying those those reproductions and things like that had a really strong influence on on stylistically what what i understand as focus and color and how those things work together and i feel like i haven't done anything with those yet like i've used techniques to get to where i maybe want to be with weathering or or comfortable enough that weathering is um a process that doesn't stress me out and i enjoy it but i think the next and I, I feel like everybody's on this same page. Um, you just hit a point where you, okay, now I really want to challenge myself. What's what's the next challenge that I'm going to give myself? And maybe it's, it's I think it is, after building this Japanese diorama, I made the story make sense. 
and earlier when I said if I was going to attempt it again, I would do things differently. I would, I would really direct the eye better, and I would really do a lot more work to focus you on what you were supposed to be looking at. So, I feel like that's my next step stylistically. That's my next goal in in a long term sort of way. Whether I incorporate it little by little in my next projects or whether I go balls to the wall and like say, okay, with this project, I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to take this massive step. I don't know yet, but I think in addition to knowing where your style comes from and the ingredients that make up your style, I mean, there's, it's kind of like cooking, right? You can, you Mm -hmm. can follow a recipe and get the exact same result as the person who wrote the recipe and, there's not a thing wrong with that, but you can also follow a recipe, come up with what they came up with and start tweaking it to suit your own palate. Right. Absolutely. And that's exactly what you do with weathering. You learn the techniques to get you where you want to be. And then once they're all assembled together, you know, it's up to you to decide whether that's a satisfying point or whether, Speckling is something you're going to push further in your work, whether, uh, I don't know, like dust layering or, or like, um, I don't know, there's so many different elements to weathering, you know, you put them all together in, in the way that you have learned them. And then it's up to you to push and pull and tweak them into something that suits what you want the end product to be. Well, what you've what you've really pinpointed, and I think this is a good place to to kind of to, to kind of wrap it up, is that the, that the like the the number one thing to me is is to identify what it is about someone's work that you really like, and and you know it, it's got to go beyond just oh I think that's cool, oh I that's neat. My mind. <laughs> this bat sings exactly the same thing. <laughs> In fact, I was going to suggest it's it's good homework for listeners to yeah. to after listening to the show, go away, find something you like, and really look at it and work out what it is about it that yeah. you like, and then and then write to us about it or ask yeah. you know ask us about share it. it. With us, yeah. Let it let yeah absolutely share it with us. It's a really good exercise, and I'm talking about like getting down to like let's say you dig chipping, you know let's like hey bro, I heard you like chipping. So find somebody's work who has chipping that, that appeals to you. Learn how, you know, what the technique is for sure. Is it hairspray chipping? Is it painted chipping? Do they do it with a pencil? Whatever the case may be. But then really start to identify what it is about that particular kind of chipping that you like. Do you think the shapes are authentic? Do you, do you like the color? Do you, you know, and then start to tie that in to the technique. Like, what is it about the technique that they use that enables them to do the thing that you like, right? Does that make sense? Can we add chipping to the drinking list? <laughs> Dude, he talks about it even more would, than the farm. <laughs> people are people are going to be completely blasted if, if we do that. Well, no, look, they you just have to eat to some the chips, end of the episode. You know? <laughs> Keep a can of Pringles right handy. Just say a convenient a chip example. every time Will says chipping. <laughs> well, I mean, do, All right, do, well, well, do you think, well, hold on. Do you think it's better to like identify the thing that they like about it or to pick it apart? 
part of me is it's like the same thing. Well, no, it's it? not right. Like you could take, you could take. Uh, I, I think in some ways it's really useful to look at images of a model that you really respond to, that you really like. Oh shit, that's hot shit. And then with a pad and a piece of paper while you're sitting there looking at it, just write down everything that makes your heart race about it. Like everything your eye sees that you respond to, write it down. Like just little. Yeah, rather than pick a technique they've done well that you like, analyze what it is about their style that is exciting you. Take the recipe apart. Yeah. Just go backwards and like and look at how, yeah, I, how they've yeah, combined those things. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I just think that at a certain point, you have to get granular and you have to get down to the point where you're really talking about how am I going to move the brush to do the thing, right? Yeah. That, that, that may not be the place to start, but that's where you're going to end that's up. That's where you're going to end and up. Then because... and, then, and then it's going to come full circle because once you figure that out, then you're going to use that technique that you've now mastered, if that's the right word, to... To add your add your salt to taste. Well, right? no, what you've done, like I guarantee you, if you sit down with a piece of paper and you look at multiple images of a model and you write down everything that you like in every image, there's going to be the aha moment where you're like, oh, I put that down mm-hmm. three times already. Yep, like, sure. I like the chipping on that wheel. I love the chipping on that fender. Like I really like the chipping, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, there it is. There's the thing that I'm responding to the most. And then you look at how that person does that. And you're like, okay, re- right. okay, these are things that I really respond to. Like, let me really, really just look at that. And on like column B, why am I responding to that? Is, mm-hmm. the, is the color right? Are the shapes right? Is it the size of the chips or whatever it may be? Whether it's like uh, chipping or if it's it's dust effects or speckling or any minutia, wild minutia of things. Like looking at a piece and taking the recipe apart to find out what the thing that you really are responding to. And then why are you really responding to that? And then can you replicate that? If not, then Mm -hmm. work on that. Like just make that a thing. You're like, okay, I'm going to try to do better at this. This is how you judge in the open system. You look at it and you take it apart and you look at every element of it. And that's how you decide. Mm -hmm. Which are the gold? There, and silver, and and there, the there you go. There you go. Our ultimate plot. <laughs> <laughs> Learn to love All the right. fact that your wingtips are not the same height off the table. The table's wonky. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is good stuff. And I feel like we could just keep going on about this for a while, but I think we've been at it for a bit. And we need to get into our interview segment because uh, Mr. James Rice is a guy who's got a very unique style and there's a lot to learn from him. So with that, let's, let's get it right into the interview. All right, then seeing as there are no objections, we will get right into the interview or conversation segment with our special guest on this week's episode of SCU. Welcome aboard, Mr. James Rice. Hi, thanks. Thanks very much. It's, a, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, we're stoked to have you on. You've been on my guest list for a long time. You know, you and I have been acquaintances for a while, and 
You've been uh, very kind to give me some backroom chat advice and instruction uh, because um, for anybody who doesn't know, you are a world-class figure painter, world-class figure sculptor, and owner of uh, a business called Sabo Miniatures, uh, correct? I do. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about the whole world class thing, but I appreciate that. But yeah, I do. I do. I am a co-owner of, of Sable Miniatures. Yeah. Yeah. And I do like to paint and sculpt. That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty certain about the world class thing. I don't think anybody uh, <laughs> anybody could object to that. But we're going to talk about about what what world class means uh, as part of our conversation here. But let's just start with kind of you and your history um because i i think your what i know of your backstory anyway i think is kind of fascinating um you are ex u.s army correct that's correct yeah yeah i'm, re- I'm retired army yeah did yep. you did you do the full 20 year thing what was your what yeah was I, your- I, I did i did i did 21 years um serving the united states army uh um as a medic and then as a, as a nurse. And then, and then I, I finished up as a physician assistant. Um, so okay. yeah, yeah, I've got a, I've got, I've got a bit of time and, uh, uh, best thing I ever did. Yeah. Yeah. So right. uh, it, was a, it was an honor to serve for sure. Very cool. Were you a zero or enlisted? I was enlisted first. I went in as a medic. Actually, I joined the army, uh, back in, uh, 87, and uh, uh, trained as a, as a combat medic, spent some time in Germany, but then realized I wanted to be a PA. And, and uh, I went to nursing school, LPN school, uh, through the Army to improve my application to PA school, which it, it helped. It helped a great deal. And, and so, and I hated being a nurse. It's a nursing, nursing work is, I, my, my hat's off to all those folks out there. That's the hardest damn job on the planet. You know, it, it's, it's true service, you know, and, and, and I hated it. And, uh, and, and so I went to PA school and finished off, uh, 21 years as a PA, finished off as a major. And now I live in Southeast Louisiana, uh, kind of in a semi-retired status, uh, doing, uh, Sable miniatures. Very cool. Well, your stock went up even further in my book because I didn't realize you were a Mustang. Is that is that what they call it in the army? Uh, no, I'm not sure. I'm not real sure what a what a, what a Mustang. <laughs> well, in the Marine Corps, that's 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 the term for somebody who goes from enlisted to to being an officer's Mustang. Oh no, I I yeah I don't I don't know. I've never heard I've never heard that term. I was called a traitor numerous times. You know, <laughs> uh, making. Making the move to the dark side and all that kind of stuff, you know. You be, you, yeah, but, you, beca- uh, you became a cake eater. I think that's a thing. yeah, yeah. But but the reality is is that is that if I wanted to be a PA because I wanted to take care of soldiers in the line unit, yeah. and it didn't matter what the rank was, you know. It, it be honest with you. In fact, when I when I applied, there were warrant officers, and I was perfectly happy being a warrant officer or you know a senior NCO. It didn't make any. It was the job that I wanted, not yeah. the not the rank and position. Really, that's very cool. That's very cool. Did you see some time over in the sand? I did. I did a couple of tours in the Middle East. Um, I went over in, in, during OIF one in support of Third uh, Infantry Division when we when we invaded, and then uh, went back again. Um, you know, when uh, a, a colleague of mine lost his daughter uh, here in the states, and, and when he came back, I, I went and and and, and backfilled him in a, in a cavalry squadron. Back in, in again in 2006, and uh, uh, and so yeah, it, so I got to see kind of both sides. I got to see the the more conventional invasion component 
but then I also got to experience the guerrilla kind of warfare that, that ensued after, you know, the conventional fight was over with. It was, it was very much a different world for sure. Um, and, uh, and, you know, hats off to those guys that are walking the streets, you know, every day because it's, the stress is, is unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just tremendous, you know, um, and, uh, I can't say enough for those guys that are, that, that were over there and, and, you know, the guys that guys and gals that still continue to serve. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's a dangerous world for sure. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure you've got a shit ton of stories, but as much as I'd love to ask you about them, um, you know, we're here to talk about your, your new career, uh, which, yeah, let's talk models. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so I'm, but, but, but I'm just curious how you got into model making and figure painting. Have you always been a figure painter or did you, are you know, are you, did you start out as a scale modeler? No, uh, I, I always had kind of a, a penchant for art, you know, I, I was, a, you know, even in elementary school, I really gravitated towards a, an artistic side of things. And, and my dad was a, was an aviator. Uh, and he, uh, he, he was a model builder and, and he built just incredible aircraft, you know? And, and so growing up next to him, he, he sat me down when, when I was old enough to cut myself, you know, uh, and, and bought me a Tyrannosaurus Rex model, you know, and walked me through the process of, of cutting it off the sprue and cleaning it up and gluing it together and making a mess and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, 25 cuts with an exacto blade later, you know, I, I moved on to the next, the next model, you know, and, and built a couple of cars and more dinosaurs and then made my way into, uh, into armor, uh, which then kind of led its way into dioramas, which, you know, included figures, and I found that that figures were the were, were were my favorite. I mean, that was the favorite part of of doing it. You know, and 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 so, but life took over. You know, and, and school and the army and all that kind of stuff. I always kind of kept my hands in it a little bit, but but uh, uh, it wasn't wasn't until the the latter part of my career where I really I really dove into it. I, I really loved it. You know, I loved the 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 research behind it. I loved the um, the fact that that no matter what genre you're in, the, the one the one constant, you know, is 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 the soldier. The, the the equipment changes, the the wars change, the geography changes, but the one constant in there is the soldiers. And and so for me, that was that was kind of the the, the pull to it all, you know. And now the fantasy stuff also. I'm really getting into the into into the fantasy side of things of, of figure painting and. and and the, the explosion of, of digital art out there that's, that's just driving the train right now. It's just, it's, it's incredible. It's just absolutely amazing. And, uh, that's, that's what's keeping me going right now is, is all the new innovations and, and, and the, just the incredible artistry, uh, in the figure community right now. It's just, it's mind boggling. Yeah. There's a lot of super cool stuff out there. And those are all topics that I certainly want to get to. Um, but I'm curious, did, were you so you're kind of the opposite of a lot of us you know we we've talked before about the fact that most of us as scale modelers do figure painting because we have to and, and it's yeah, you know it's yeah. just it's it's, it's like, the burden yeah well <laughs> and it's terrifying and we all suck at sure. it and it's like pulling teeth and you know it's i mean it it's it's just the so so you're the complete opposite did you find that you sort of had a natural talent for painting figures 
Or did you start out like the rest of us with, you know, giant black eyeball spots and, and you know, grubby skin tones? Oh yeah, for sure. We all we all kind of start off in the same spot. The I think I think the the the, the what, what one of my soapboxes. You know, we all talk about it. You know, when everybody asks, you know, you know, how can I get better at this? Well, you know, what what's what's the one thing I'm missing here, or whatever. You know, and 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 almost everybody says we just need to practice more, man. I mean, you, you know, you're you're what you're doing is is good. But you just need to practice more. But but the but. The, the, the question I always ask when I, when I'm putting on like a workshop is, you know, are you doing good practice or bad practice? You know, you can, you can practice a hundred hours a week, but if your practice is shit, then you're, it's a hour, that's a hundred hours wasted. So you, you have to kind of figure out what is good practice and what is bad practice. And early on, I really started looking to, looking to those very accomplished guys. You know, I remember Shep Payne's book. You know, uh, it, that, that old book is a collector's item now. He had, he had a, a section in there on, on painting figures. And, you know, and I was using enamels at that time. And, and, um, and I, and I studied that thing. I mean, I wore that book out. Uh, and, and, and so what I, and what I was trying to do at that point was develop good practice techniques, you know, by following the examples of people that I respected and I felt were very, very accomplished. And so it's kind of, it kind of started there for me. And, and then, and, 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 you know, growing up studying art, you know, throughout school and all that, and then overseas, that helped me train my eye to help to, to kind of dissect the work of others. And so now I can go to a show or I can I can look up on social media and see a figure that I really, really enjoy. And I can start to pick apart uh, the layers. You know, how, how do they get from point A to point B? And and I and, and I think that in of itself is, is, a, is a good exercise, you know, in in. And, you know, I, and I'd also tell a lot of folks in my workshops, if you go to a show and you can take away two learning points by looking at the, the pieces on the table. And when I mean learning points, look at it, say, OK, I really like how they did this. Now dissect it out. You know, before you leave, take some pictures of it and work work out a plan in your mind. How did they get from point A to point B? And then go approach them, talk to them, say, look, I really like your piece, you know, and, and show me how you did the hair, for example, you know. And, and, and kind of, and then go home and do it. A lot of folks will, 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 will do that at a show, but they won't go home and do it. They, 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 they'll, they'll, they'll say, I really admire a piece and I really want to get this done, but they won't follow through. And, and I think that's, they're doing themselves an injustice in that. You know, I think that, uh, if you want to get better, you have to practice, but you have to have good practice. For sure. I mean, I remember being in art school and, uh, and I fell in love with the work of N.C. Wyeth and I happened to be in, uh, living in New York and going to school in New York. And there was a place uh, called illustration house and it was an auction house for illustration work. And you could actually go in and they would have all the work hanging on the wall. Uh, they'd have a show basically prior to the, the auction itself. And you could go in there and like put, almost put your nose up against, uh, you know, a Norman Rockwell or an NC Wyatt or a Howard Pyle. And my sure. professor you know, whenever we would go in there, he he instilled that in me. He would be looking at this, you know, and he'd point something out and say, look at this. Like, there's big, thick paint strokes everywhere. But right here, you can see what color he primed the canvas. So he exactly. primed that canvas exactly. so that any anything, so he didn't have to physically paint every single square centimeter of that painting. He put down sort of a neutral right. fill that would work in almost every circumstance, if it peeked through a little bit. 
and he got me started and like sure again like okay how do you think he mixed his color you know like well look at how these colors exactly. work together yeah. so yeah that's that's uh, bringing a critical eye to the things that you love is is a really good point um that, that i think is overlooked yeah. by a lot of modelers a lot of my, I get a lot of guys that ask me in, in, in different, it, it shows, you know, I participate in like a round table in Atlanta, just kind of a question and answer thing. It's really cool. Uh, but, but a lot of folks will ask, you know, well, what is your mix for, you know, khaki, khaki green, you know, and what they're looking for is they're looking for a recipe. You know, they're yeah, looking for, for sure. you know, 20% of this color, 10% of that color. You want to cut it with this much distilled water. And, and I try to tell them, say, look, I, what I do is I take yellow ochre, I take a bit of that, and I mix it with a bit of brown, a burnt umber and a bit of black, and then I tone it down with a bit of white. That's my recipe. It's it, it it's it's a journey. It's an it's an experience. You need to play with the colors. You need to play with those tones, and try to not be too technical. You know the I I know that you know from building plastic models and all that. There's a tremendous technical component to building plastic models. I mean, when you pull, when you, when you start putting together a kit, there, there is a sequence that, that is very, very technical. And, and if you deviate from that, you can really screw yourself in the end. But, but when it comes to, you know, paint application and the finishing component, uh, try and try and get yourself more comfortable with the whole experimentation, you know, with the, with the, with the, with the putting, putting the paint on a palette and mixing it together and see what you come up with. You know, and, and use different ratios. I'm I'm a big fan of artistic license, and and the uh, uh, in fact I joke at, at our workshops that if you attend one of my workshops that I'm gonna that I'm gonna go ahead and sign your artistic license uh, certificate because because you're gonna you know you 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 need to go home and, and 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 play around you know and enjoy the process and not beat yourself up because you know you went 25 percent of this color as opposed to 20 percent. It's a it's a it's a yeah it's 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 a journey. You know, in my opinion, and so you certainly learn something by by going twenty percent too heavy with one color. You know, you, you learn. Yeah, uh, yeah. I sure. mean, we've talked about it before. It's a knowing your materials is key. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Knowing your materials is not going to guarantee you success, but it it's absolutely going to get you. Clo- I mean, if you don't know your materials, I think you don't stand any chance. Uh, I mean, I'm, no, is it I, I, zero? Yeah. yeah, I have I have pretty strong feelings about that, but but I'm also proof that knowing your materials doesn't mean it's going to come out going to come out well. Uh, but you you know you mentioned a couple of things that I I think you know we've talked a lot about here on the podcast and that I certainly feel strongly about. And and one is you know that thing of going back and analyzing other you know the work of of those you admire. But that's not just figure painting. It's, I mean, it's a, it's scale modeling as well. Um, you know, like I, I, you see a lot of guys who are trying to get into weathering, and they're like, "How do I do this? You know, what's what's you know, how do I?" They're looking for that recipe, like you were talking about, that's right? Because yeah. Yeah. because as soon as you get off the color callout sheet, you're in unknown territory, and and that's and right. and it re you can you know you can see that it really makes a lot of scale modelers super uncomfortable, because you know like you said it's just very procedural, and, and aircraft guys are, I think the worst, but but I, I think <laughs> but I think I think that one of the most important things that you mentioned there is is like I'll tell people look at the work of like Mike Rinaldi. 
or Adam Wilder, um, you know, Martin Kovach, any of these guys who are just really world class. And, and you can almost count the effects. Like you can identify each layer. You can exactly. say, okay, I know that he did dust here, and I understand why it's in each of these places. And here's a layer where he added a different tone, and here's a layer where he did some fuel stains. And, and, and you can separate those effects. And I think that analyzing that teaches you how to think about it, and, and then hopefully that helps you execute it more effectively. And so it's cool to hear you say the same thing about figure painting. Oh, it's, it's it, there's. I think there's some 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 true commonalities, regardless of of the genre, you know. And and I think that I think that everyone appreciates the the piece, whether it's a tank or an aircraft or figure or a car. It doesn't make any difference. Really appreciates the depth of color. Really appreciates the contrast in the finishes. Um, and 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 you know. But it, it, in the same token, can can kind of self critique themselves and say, "Well, I'm a little too I'm a little too shallow here, you know. I'm a, I'm a little too monotone and too two dimensional. What do I need to do here?" As opposed to the guy who who took those extra five or six steps to really really layer out their piece and and create a lot of depth and and it, and it, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it's really your interpretation of the subject, you know, it, and, and so you know you can you can go as deep as you want. And in my my opinion the, the more layers the more depth you put in a piece the the, the more interesting you're going to make it you know for the viewer um which is you know i'm that guy walking around looking at stuff and and, and picking out those 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 bold those bold figures and 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 and, and pieces of armor and, and aircraft that they've really gone that extra mile and and, and put in those extra layers and that extra depth it makes a lot it makes a big difference in my opinion yeah, it, it and it just takes time. It's you know it's another thing yeah. that, that that you know we we've had we've had a lot of really you know I think interesting and and varied guests on this podcast, but we see some common things. And you just touched on a couple that are that that you see with with all of you guys that are at that level, and that's that's you know using a lot of layers and the fact that it just takes time to execute mm -hmm. and there's just not really mm -hmm. a shortcut for that nope no there really isn't i mean there's a there, we, we all have our little tricks you know we to kind of you know speed things along and all that but but at the end of the day you know you you paint a gold button if i paint a gold button on a jacket for example i mean there's going to be probably five different layers that's going to go into that tiny one little gold button and, and as opposed to just slapping some uh, gold color to it, you know, it, it needs to be shaded. It needs, there needs to be a light reflection. It needs to be, you know, um, you know, uh, reflective light from underneath, et cetera. I mean, it, it becomes a whole process, you know, and, and it does. It, ta it takes time. The, you, but every single one of us that does figures, just like you guys that do tanks and, and, and aircraft and whatnot, you have your tricks. You, but you didn't get there overnight. I mean, it took you a lot of experimentation and it took a lot of, a lot of failures to figure out those little tricks. And, uh, and, and now a lot of things are just second nature. You know, the, 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 you don't even think about a lot of the things you do right now, uh, from, from, you know, like if you're trying to, if you're trying to walk a beginner through, you know, what you're trying to do, you're going to take a lot of things for granted because it's, it's, it becomes unconscious almost at, at, at a certain point. Um, uh, and, and that's, that can be really, really challenging to, to people, you know, when they come up and ask, you know, you know, to check out, check out this piece. What do you think? I, I, uh, what am, where am I making my mistake? You know, 
And in, unless you can access that, that kind of unconscious part, you know, that, that, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to give them some guidance or some ideas to think about, you know, it's uh, because things do become second nature over time. Yeah, and I think that when you talk about practice too, like a lot of people just naturally think about, okay, I'm going to practice painting, like you know, using a brush, like the mechanics of of, of a certain thing. Um, but you you know, you talked about color and the fact that so many guys just naturally want a recipe, and you see it all the time. You know, scale modeling guys get in these Facebook groups and are like, hey, what's the you know federal standard color number for the bottom of an F-18 or whatever it is. And, right. you know, it's understandable. I mean, we've kind of been trained as scale modelers to do that. Sure. But, you know, we, I think all four of us, you know, understand that that while color can certainly be right or wrong, that, that shade, tone, tint, whatever you, you know, want to call it is, is far from absolute. And that, one of the most valuable skills that scale modelers can practice is learn to see color and learn to mix color, learn to make your colors, you know, like you were talking about, don't depend on that recipe. Um, Just, just learn to adjust it until it's, you know, get it, get in the right neighborhood, then build the house the way you want it and learn to see it and learn to see colors together and how they interact. Absolutely. I mean, you got, you have to train your eye and and it's as important to train your eye as it is to train your brush, you know, you, you have to, you, there's the two key components to modeling, whether it's an airbrush or, or, you know, a, 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 a sable brush, it doesn't make any difference. You have to learn brush control. You know, you have to, you have to be able to color in the lines. You have to know how, you know, if you move your hand in this direction, what effect you're going to get. Um, it, 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 in the same token, you have to learn your color. You have to you have to study your col- your color. What what complements one color doesn't complement another. Uh, and and it, it, what you got to do is you got to do some studies. You know, and that's one of the things I saw with with the piece that you posted recently with that Viking. I mean, I you know, hats off. I mean, your first comment there was that you had some goals in mind, and this was this was a study piece, and you had a couple of goals in mind, and then you met your goals. This is something that a lot of a lot of modelers don't do, uh, and I think it's because we're we're probably some of the cheapest bastards on the planet. You know, is, is that is that we're not we're not willing to invest uh, money in a in a, in a in a study piece. You know, I I just all I want to do is I want to get better at German camouflage on a on a tank, and it's not a piece you're ever going to show. You know, it's it's that mule. You know, that you're simply going to do a study over and over and over again until you get what you're looking for. You know, and and you know, I try to I try to tell that to, to guys who do figures as well. Is that if if you're struggling with eyes, then paint fifty eyes. You know, uh, you can you can you can take a, a large scale head and you can paint the eyes, and then you can strip them and then paint them again and then paint them again until it, it's it's a study, it's an exercise. You know, just like if you're an art student, you know, you put you through yourself through that muscle memory and that learning that brush control and the flow of the paint and all that. It's a uh, that's good practice, you know, is, is literally doing a study of a kind. You find, identify a weakness and then attack that weakness through repetition. It's, uh, 
you know, repetition is, is the key to adult education. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> well, even, even better, even better than, even better than that. If you've got a 3d printer, you can just print 50 heads. You, you can print 50 heads and just keep doing them over the heads. Right. That's a fact. Yeah. And, and, and that sure. gives you the opportunity to see the progression, you know, whereas if you strip yeah. it every time, you, you know, if you don't let yeah. you take pictures, you, you lose that along the way. And I've actually been kind of thinking about doing that with the Viking head, because as you, uh, pointed out in my, you know, in our private chat, um, I, mm -hmm. you know, I, 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 I think you, I think your comment was my brushwork was okay, but yeah, you know, to, good. To, brushwork's good. to paraphrase, um, my, my colors, not so much. And we were joking the kind of laughing the last on the last episode about the fact that you told me I should just start over on the eyes. <laughs> Which, which I, you know, I, I didn't, my, my feelings weren't hurt by that. I was frustrated because I had worked, yeah. I, I had worked hard at it, but I was so focused on the brush strokes that, um, I was like, I, I like, you know, with eyes, everybody, we we're all just rightfully terrified about making them look decent because it's so easy mm -hmm. to fuck them up. I mean, you, you know, we've all oh, yeah. seen, we've all seen that. And a large scale bust like that it doesn't give you any place to hide. I mean, if he's a little there's no mercy, right? If yeah. he's a little wall eyed, it, it, you're going to see it from across the room, and yep. and you also don't have any excuse for not getting in detail like the black, you know, the dark rim around the eye, around the the mm -hmm. the, uh, the the iris, and yep. getting getting some tonal variation in the iris and. You know your shit's got to be round, like you. You've always told me You're, you got your stuff's got to be got to be correctly shaped and pointed the right direction. Mm -hmm. And I was just so hyper focused on that that even though I thought I was paying attention to the tones, I still was you know like only halfway there. But that was you know farther than I had gotten in the past. So um, yeah, then that, that's that's perfect. Then mission accomplished. Yeah. But since you brought up the Viking, I I, I totally want to take advantage of this opportunity to talk to talk about it because. It's a rare thing where where me and a guest have have painted the exact same piece, and um, it's a little embarrassing because now we're going to have to show a picture of mine <laughs> next to a picture of yours. <laughs> but 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 that'll that'll provide some uh, comedy relief. But you, you've got it over on your uh, um, you've got a, a Sabo Miniatures Facebook page. And um, you've got a whole gallery of photos, and if people scroll about halfway down, you're they're going to see pictures of your Viking bust, uh, because um, as I mentioned it before, this is a digital sculpt by Laven Archer. Um, hopefully, I'm pronouncing it correctly. He's an amazing digital sculptor, and the STL files are available out there for purchase, which is how I got mine. But you also made a deal with him to print them and sell them as pre-printed uh, figures from Sabo, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we have a, a couple of his pieces, the uh, the Viking, and we also have the Pueblo Indian. Uh, we made a deal with him because not everybody has a has a 3D printer, and these these pieces need to be painted. I mean, he's such a good, like you said, he's such a good sculptor, and there's plenty of guys that uh, that they, like I said don't have the printer, but they want the piece, so. We made a deal to, to print them off in a couple of different scales and then resin cast them. And, uh, and then, and then we also, you know, a uh, little, little plug for Sabo, I guess, but we sell them pretty cheap, uh, because we made a, a real good deal. Levon is, is a real generous guy. 
And because our costing is, you know, it's, it's minimal, you know, in, in, it, we're able to bring that, that price forward to folks and, and say, Hey, so it, it would be nice if we, if we could do that, uh, across the board, but the, uh, uh, the, the, the reality is, is you can't, you know, it's just not, it's not cost effective, but, uh, I would definitely recommend his pieces for sure. Yeah, they're pretty cool because not only do they yeah. does he bring an amazing amount of life to a digital sculpt, but because uh, like the detail is so good, like this is one one thing that was for me a lot of fun about this piece is the the surface relief is so good yep. that it yep. makes it a lot easier to 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 color inside the lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. The only the only the only drawback to like with the Viking is 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 fur and hair. Right. Our, they're a bitch. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've taken on, uh, digital sculpting and, and I can tell you that, that it's, it's like one of the most difficult things to do is, is to pull off fur and hair, you know, uh, in a reasonable, you, 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 you go as far as you can, you, you you can take it and then it needs to be interpreted through paint, you know, uh, cause that, that, that fur mantle is, is pretty chunky, but, but it's, it's all there. You just, you just gotta bite it, you know, I guess. And, and yeah. define the hair, yeah. and that was the that was one really consistent comment that I got from everybody was that I just didn't yeah. do a great job on the on the fur and the hair, and and I struggled with it because uh, it, it's it the, so so much of what he did there is really realistic, but the fur and the hair, like you said, has its limits, and so you've got this sort of un, at least for me anyway, at my limited level of skill and talent, is an uncrossable, uncanny valley. Uh, right there on the same piece, um, like right. like like relatively easy for me to do what I gravitate towards, which is to try to create a realistic finish on the leather, and then pretty much just fall on my face with the hair and the and the and the fur because that just takes a lot of painting talent, and and so I'm curious. Uh, well, first of all, the what scale did you is the one you painted? Is it is it big scale? Uh, as well? I think the one I've, I the one I've got is one tenth. Okay. Uh, is one tenth. Yeah, I, 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 I printed off in a larger scale as well, but, um, most of our customers like that one tenth, uh, scale. It kind of fits with the rest of their bus and their collection. So I scaled it down to one tenth and that's, that's what we cast it at. So even more embarrassing because I'm pretty sure mine is one sixth. So theoretically, anyway, even easier. Um, and uh, but you know, you just like the one thing that I notice immediately is um, you just did you just do a lot more painting. Um, like like my approach is sort of driven out of of fear and laziness. <laughs> <laughs> Like I just like I, I I know that I the more painting I do the more likely I am to fuck it up, and so like I, <laughs> I, I you know I probably like you talked about the metallic stuff, like yeah. I did I did exactly what you talked about on the uh, medallions on his on you know the chain, I yeah. I masked it off and I airbrushed what I thought was a nice metallic tone, some MRP lacquer and then put a wash on it. And I thought, okay, sure. that looks pretty cool. I'm done. <laughs> right, right. Two exactly two steps, and yeah. I'm sure you had, you know, you probably had well, ten steps right what, there. What I did, what I did is, is I, I painted the medallions black, flat black, and then I used uh, scale seventy five black steel 
and, and, and hit all the highlights. Okay. And then after the black steel, I hit just the top highlights with their heavy metal, which is, which is a much brighter, uh, steel color. And then, and then narrowed it down even more with the, the Vallejo aluminum. That's that stuff you guys, uh, I think sometimes spray on, on, on aircraft when you want an aluminum finish. Uh-huh. And then, and then hit like just like two or three little spots just to give that final top highlight. And then, um, and then I took, uh, blue ink, diluted blue ink and, uh, applied a filter to the bottom, bottom third, uh, and kind of let, kind of pulled it up, uh, a little bit and then hit it again on the, on that, the bottom one quarter of the medallion to provide a nice shadow effect. And, uh, uh, the, you know, so there's, there's literally <clears throat> five or six steps in painting the, the, those medallions. And I did the same thing with the chain and, and the little, the little bit, you know, and, and his axe and all that. I, I pretty much did, did the same thing. And the reason I did it pretty much the same way across the board there is to create a balance within the figure. You know, that's, it's one of the things that, that I, I preach a lot, uh, 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 to folks and, 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 and I look for in, in judging as well is, is does the, does the piece look balanced? And, and one thing you can do, um, when, when, you know, to create balance, even amongst different elements within the piece is to use the similar tones, you know, uh, across like one of my fetish colors is burnt umber. You know, you're going to find burnt umber in that Viking literally on everything, uh, except the metallics. Uh, but it is, it is literally in everything. And uh, the reason for that is that burnt umber ties all the elements together and helps create a nice balanced piece. It's a little, just, that's one of those little tricks, you know, to, well, and to, look, to help you. You know, so there's so nothing looking like at jumps it right out. now. I mean, that that blue ink that you used on the bottom half of the metallics to give it a little uh, kind of a cool shadow that you brought up into the axe is carried over into the shirt. It's around the shirt that's popping up around his collar. It's on the top of the fur cape that he's wearing it's in the it's in his eyes it's in the temples uh the shadows in the temples and and the laces and the tunic i mean that you carry that blue just all the way through everything well i yeah i i mean the laces for sure i've got some blue it's not the same blue but there is some blue there in the tunic is actually more violet uh, i used a violet ink to tie all that in uh, to, and, and, and what it came down to was, 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 was again, that balance between warm and cold tones. You know, if you look at your color spectrum, you know, uh, a nicely balanced piece is going to have sort of an equal value between the cold and, and the warm tones on the color spectrum. And so by, by bringing in the blues and the, it, it, the way I did and, and, and the, and the, and the violet, I think it did help create a nice little balance there. And the violet also works works good in the in the leather too. There's also quite a bit of violet ink uh, in my leather effects. Those leather the, the shadows of, of the leather. Uh, the not a lot. Of, I, I use some ink in the in the face, particularly um, uh, in the that temple region. Uh, there is a little bit of blue ink as well as as the cheek, just a little bit of blue ink, just to kind of cool things down. Um, and and um, so by spreading it out there a little bit. Yeah, I think it does create a, a pretty nicely balanced uh, piece overall. I'm I'm pretty yeah, happy. A lot of harmony. It is really it is, yeah it is really well balanced. Like it's 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 rich and bold, but there's like no part of it that to me anyway makes my eye twitch because it is it's 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 really balanced. 
Uh, and, and, and just because I know a lot of a lot of people, they always, you know, always want to ask again, because it goes back to that recipe thing. You mentioned that you used to use enamels. Um, and I know you've been through different phases. You're 100% acrylics mm-hmm. now, right? Yeah, I'm 100% acrylics now. I, I, I started off with enamels and then um, made the move to oils. Um, that was that was a game changer in my, my work, as well as discovering Windsor Newton brushes. Um, but then looking at, at, at some fantastic work that was being done in acrylics, uh, the... Uh, I, I said I've got I've got to I've got to figure out this acrylics thing. You know, I mean oils are great and all, but look at what's coming out in acrylics. And so I struggled with acrylics. I just could not figure it out. Uh, and I tried over and over and over again. And my problem was I was trying to use acrylics as you would use oils, and it's a totally different medium. I mean, it's a it's a different skill set. Um, the good thing was by by spending years painting in oils. I was able to learn a lot of the, the, the color theory and the, the, the importance of a balanced figure and all that. All those same rules apply. So I was able to take that, but then move it, uh, migrate it into using acrylics. And it, was, it wasn't until actually I attended, you know, uh, a workshop put on by Fernando Ruiz out of Spain that, that the light bulb, I had that light bulb moment, you know, in the middle of his, of his, of his uh, workshop the, that, uh, you know, I can, I can do this now. And, and watching watching how he mixed it up and how he diluted it and how he applied it, um, I was able to to study that and 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 then bring it on board. But then but then when I what, it was at the Atlanta show, so at the Atlanta show, I went and bought like six figures, okay, that had the same color palette of the figure that we were using in the workshop. And I went home and all I did was paint those figures. Uh, all I did was go home and do a reinforcement of the workshop on multiple figures, and that cemented it. Uh, for me, and and from then on, it's been it's all purely acrylics at this point. Okay, so uh, now what? My, so what was the thing? What was the light bulb moment? That that what was it that made it click for you? It was it was literally watching watching him take the paint, mix it up in a palette, watching the dilution, and 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 watching him actually apply it to the figure, as opposed to blocking in. Um, you know, a, 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 a mid-tone and blocking in a shadow and then blocking in a highlight and then feathering it all together, I, I was able to see how he worked from a, a, a base coat and applying diluted, you know, uh, applications of the paint uh, and allowing the transparency of the acrylics to do its job. And that's, that's, that's what, you know, a lot of folks kind of lose is that you don't put on acrylics in, in, a, in an opaque manner. They go on very translucent because what you want is you want the color underneath to come through a little bit. And then the next color the, the, will, will be a little bit transparent. And so you end up getting a lot of a tremendous depth because literally all those colors at the bottom are going to come through, um, your, your final, your final layers. And by layering it on like that, you can, you can create a nice blended effect. Uh, you know, one of the, 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 the current, like, for example, the current technique I'm using for skin tones is a Verdaccio undercoat. Which is basically it's a it's a gray green you know it's a gray green that was discovered by the Renaissance masters and they found that 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 gray green base coat before they put on their flesh tones would mute out or tone down the reds and the pinks and they get a much more realistic skin tone so I you know trying that on the figures it, I I think it absolutely is is true you know that be you know, because the, the 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 skin tones that you put on top of that gray green base that gray b- green base comes through 
okay, all those those tones you put down and helps cut out uh, those harsh reds and pinks and leaves you with a, with a much nicer uh, uh, skin tone at the end well, at the a, end of the day. It's a compliment, right? So it so it's uh, it's basically neutralizing those reds and pinks that you're putting on top a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, green, green's opposite red on, on, the, on, the, on the color spectrum. And so that's what it does. It, help, it helps mute out those, because those, that's what you see most commonly, you know, in people's work is that their faces look, look too pink or they look, they look too, too red, um, which, is, which is fine. I mean, if that's what you're going for. But I personally would like to, to tone down those, 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 those pinks and those reds and then come back later and, and purposefully add reds where I want them to be. You know, like around the eyes and the cheeks and the nose and the, the earlobes. You know, I want to I want to put in the reds after the fact to bring my 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 face to life. I don't want the whole thing to be pinky and, and, and too red. So, the, so that that was kind of watching Fernando. You know, take advantage of the transparency of the acrylics and putting on layer after layer. That 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 was my light bulb moment. That was that was it for me. That was it. okay. Well, I can do that. And and then. And, the, and what's really cool is these things dry quick, right? I mean, these things dry within seconds. And so if you if you dick it up, right, you dick the dog on, on a shadow, no problem. It'll be dry in two seconds. You go back and redo it, you know, uh, change change your approach. Whereas in oils, you've got, even if you cook it, even if you put your oil oil piece in, in, in a little oven and cook it, it's still going to take you, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, you know, before you can really get back to work on it. And then, then shit, then you're going to, then you're going to go back to work on it. You're going to start dragging paint off where you didn't want to drag paint off. It's a pain in the ass. So acry- acrylics to me is, is kind of, it's got it all going on. It's, 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 it's fast. It's, it's, it's not hard to work with. It should not be intimidating, but it is a different skill set than working with oils for sure. Absolutely. It's all about the transparency. That's really gratifying to hear you talk about the skin tones that, that way, because that honestly is one of the first things that I noticed about your work and that I and they and that drew me to it is that I you know, I, I, I'm again I'm I'm not in a position to be able to, to really talk much about people's other people's work, but you know, you see what you see. And and, and and as a photographer, I certainly have my preferences on on skin tone. And I just feel like that that it's really common, like you said, with a lot of figure painters, that you get these really rosy, kind of almost magenta tones. That mm-hmm. I, that not only do they not just really appeal to me, but they just don't seem that realistic. And yeah, I yeah. I always liked your skin tone palette a lot better oh, because and 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 so that's 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 it's it's cool to hear that. The other thing that that I think is really important to come out of what you just said is, and I think this frustrates a lot of guys um, when they're coming at it from the scale modeling perspective and they're looking for, oh, you know, I just, I mean, I just want to put some guys in my tank and I just want them to look cool. How do I do it? I need a recipe because I know I've felt that way. And so you go out there and you start watching videos and you start buying books and you start reading tutorials and you start having conversations and if if you're like me you just get more confused you know maybe because mm-hmm. i'm just mm-hmm. maybe because i'm just thick <laughs> but no no everybody is but i also feel like that part of the problem is 
there's so many different ways to do it and mm-hmm. so many different approaches. And, and whereas there's sort of relatively few ways to get to a realistic finish on an aircraft or a tank. Uh, I mean, you you know, you can argue the difference between black basing or some other form of pre-shading. You can argue the difference between brush painted chips or hairspray chipping, you know, but but there's still sort of relatively few pathways. Whereas it seems to me like almost every really good figure painter does it differently. Like, Like there may be commonality. Like, you know, you were talking to me about the tone in the lower portion of viking boys eyeballs you mm-hmm. know getting a lighter tone at the lower half of the eyeball well that's a common thing with kirill Kaniev that i got out of his mm-hmm. figures faq book mm-hmm. but like then you talked about you were like you got to put a catch light in there so for anybody doesn't know mm-hmm. catch lights the you know like it's a photography term as well you know it's that little bit of of blown out white glare that you get off your eyeball because it's a glossy surface well so you paint that in from mm-hmm. everything i understand from kirill's book he doesn't paint a catch light because he glosses his eyeballs and so mm-hmm. it happens naturally and so it's and a lot of guys are real insistent right they're like you got to do it this way and so i can see why with a lot of people who are trying to learn to paint paint figures it just becomes exhausting and you just give yeah, up sure, for sure because it's like what the fuck do i do you know which well, guy do i, mean, I listen we to we don't give and up I, well yeah the, the guys who like us who are painting a figure to go alongside our tank we just take the quickest and easiest way because you know yeah that's, that's right. just what we're going to do whenever we barely have a grasp on the concepts of how to do it like uh yeah because a lot of people like you know will's working on this this uh hornet and he's he did what I think is a really smart thing, and he spent a lot of time on the ordnance before he started painting the aircraft because it's kind of like a figure on a tank diorama. Like, it's the last thing you do. Like, that's what I'm working on right now is the only thing I have left is this figure and my diorama is done. So I've put it off until last. It becomes the linchpin to finishing my model. And... I think by nature, people, when they do that, they don't want to spend a lot of time to get to the completed point. Like, what's the easiest way for me to get this done, oh, stick yeah, it on my sure. tank, and move to the next thing? Whereas if I had, if maybe if That's I had right. started the figures first, and I would have spent a lot more time on them, and I would be looking for something that, like, that rewards the amount of time spent, you know? But I... Of course, yeah, of course. I, I, I mean, I, I totally get that. And, and the... You know, I, I have a, you know, to address, you know, Will's comments there first is that, you know, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, figure guys all have their own recipe. They have their own style. I think that's, but that's, that's really good. And that's what we should be gravitating to. You know, we, you know, one of, one of the, one of the things that we should always, you know, strive for is our own unique style, you know, and, and it takes a long time to get there. Uh, but ideally, you know, the long-term goal would be, when you when you go to a show and you put yourself on the table, you know Tracy walks into the room and he sees Will's work from across the room. I mean, it's it's you know it's dead obvious, you know it, it, that that's that is a piece done by Will Patterson, and and so th- it is. It's 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 one of those things you, you want to get to. And I've attended I've attended a whole bunch of different workshops. 
uh, you know, not only the, the Fernando, uh, workshop, but how Julio Cabos and, 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 and Scott Premu. Uh, and, and, and it's, and it's not because I want to paint like Scott or Julio. It's because I want to learn some of those, those, those techniques and those applications that they do and try to incorporate that into my own style and, and therefore grow my own, my own piece through the work of others. And so I'm a big fan of workshops. There's no, there's no, I, you know, I, I, tell, I tell the little, little group of guys that we have here, you know, it, it, you know, sometimes that let's just get down and sit down and paint because the reality is, is that we're all to a certain extent, uh, tool whores, right? We've all got, you know, thousands of dollars tied up in freaking tools. You know, it's the latest and greatest thing. We were at a show. Hey man, look what I got for 25 bucks. This is going to change the world. The reality is, is that. All of that time spent on on gathering tools has it really made you significantly better? That's you know, right. As as opposed to maybe drop a couple hundred bucks and spend a couple of days at a workshop and sit there and watch somebody, uh, you know, physically go through the process and then you do it because most workshops are a watch one, you know, do one, teach one kind of kind of thing. It's all very hands on. Those little nuances are invaluable. And then, and then, then it's on you then to go home and, and continue to do it. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. We all have a different way of doing things. Uh, but that's a good thing. Uh, and, and because I, I, I don't, I don't want to paint like Julio Cabos. I, I want to take some of the things that he's learned over time and try to incorporate into my style. And, and, and hopefully, you know, other folks will, will, will want to learn how I do a couple of things, you know, and, and, and that's how we, we just kind of get better, uh, a little bit at a time. Uh, the, uh, you know, and, and Tracy brings up a real good point is that a lot of times figures are, they're that, uh, that, that, that freaking the, 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 it's a burden, you know, it's the, it's the cross that they have to bear because they're doing a diorama. But, you know, I'll, I'll also argue that if you look at the quality of work that comes out of Europe versus the quality of work that comes out of the United States, in my opinion, Europe, Europe, European artists are head and shoulders above us. Yeah, we are. I, I mean, that, look, that's just my opinion. But I, I, I really do. I really do think. Chris, and, fi- and, Chris and one finally the, decides to talk. Yeah. And that's, that's and, the, and, and, but one of the reasons I, I, I think that, though, is because they spend as much time in their presentation as they do on the kind of the focal element. You know, if you're doing a, if you're doing a, a tank, okay, and you spend, a, you spend, you know, 200 hours putting this tank together, okay, you invest all that time, they'll put 300 or 400 hours into the, the, the scenery around the tank. You know, it's, it's, it's as much about the presentation as it is the, the, the element. And, and that's one of the, one of the things that we see at the figure shows consistently here in the U.S. is that we're way behind the power curve, you know, in doing this, you know, putting together the supporting elements, if you will. You know, we just don't present, uh, as well. And, and so that's how figures come into play, you know, is that it'll give you put all that time and energy into your tank. You need to put in as much time and energy into that figure um and yeah it's painful at first for sure for sure but hey you go through the process you enjoy it you know uh before you know it it's not as hard as you think it goes a lot faster uh but you do have to endure it you do have to you do have to walk the road because there is no quick there is no quick fix you know well no no quick shortcut i think i think that one thing that could sort of shorten it for some guys is just just pick one just pick a style pick a technique um, don't do what I do. We just try to understand them all and then figure out what's best. 
Um, but, but just pick one, like, you know, Martin Kovach has been doing figures for his dioramas and his, his dioramas are amazing. And he has sort of settled, I think, um, on the method where you do your priming in what they call the zenithal lighting scheme Mm -hmm. where you, you prime the whole thing, prime the whole thing black. And then you, and then you spray from above with a, mm-hmm. with a real light gray or a white so that you've got that relief between shadows and, and highlights. And then you right. use what's essentially a glaze. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't personally prefer that style because I feel like it leaves the colors kind of desaturated and muddy, mm-hmm. but it's pretty straightforward. So like if you're, yes. you know, if you're just a dude trying to figure out how to paint some cool figures that go with your tank, that's a pretty viable strategy. And, and I think that it's important to just pick one and just work it until you get mm-hmm. to a point where you decide, okay, for these reasons that I now understand, maybe I want to switch and do something else. Um, but, but it, it, you know, otherwise it, it, it's overwhelming and, 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 you know, and then you throw the scale factor on top of it because mm-hmm. scale totally matters. Like we talked earlier about the fact that there's no place to hide on a, on a large scale bust. Um, right and and it's just like a lot of these things really got driven home for me more powerfully than they had before with this viking bust thing and comparing it to yours and talking to you because you know when you look at the two side by side it's obvious that mine looks mine doesn't just look different because i suck i i, I look <laughs> my my Mine looks different because I'm coming at it from a fundamentally different style direction. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think this is kind of something that I'm working through for myself. And maybe it's helpful for other guys. Because I know this is true with photography. You have to figure out why you like what you like. And that can be a challenging thing, right? That's right. I mean, absolutely. That, it's it's like you were talking about before. Like you got to study a lot of things. You got to look at a lot of other other guys' work, and you got to analyze it. You got to break it down. You got to go, okay, I like this because these tones and these tones and this overall color palette and the brush stroke styling, and and I think maybe for art school guys, I don't know, you two can chime in. Maybe for art school guys, that's second nature, but for scale model dudes, on average, yeah. that's like a totally foreign well, that's why martin's right. technique works so well for just your average scale modeler right you're not it's you lay down black and then you you highlight from above with white and it takes all the guesswork out of where your your shadows go where your highlights go and then these glazes that you're doing build things up little by little which is it's almost uh it's almost like a restraining hand for most uh, modelers when they attempt figures. I, I feel like most modelers who attempt figures just kind of dive in glopping paint on. And I think it's really good to get them to slow down and like, and see like how these glazes sort of can build up and, and give you a good finish, which is like, that gives you the bones of it, right? Like, okay, I've produced something I'm happy with. So now I'm no longer dreading painting my figures. And so if you're anything like me, like I don't necessarily dread them. I put them off. And then once I start painting them, I fucking love it. I'm like, man, I should, I should pull out 20 more figures and just keep painting figures. Like 
I really do enjoy it. I agree. It. That's what you should be doing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Uh, because then, like, getting to the stage of what most people are, you know, using as a finished figure on their tank model is that much easier. You know, the routine is, yeah. is set. If you do 20 of them over and over again, then getting to that point's great. And that's when your style comes in. That's when you start, like, looking at people and, like, you get gravitating towards one person's work. And you're like, okay, how do they make that leather look so rich? And then the next time you're painting right. a holster or something like that, that's what you attempt. Like, So I, I think well, there's and- validity in how Martin's kind of approaching it for your average modeler because it gets them to a point where they're confident enough that they can create a piece that goes on their finished product, but then it it gives them solid ground to stand on when they're actually starting to look at and explore other styles and like how to, how to push their own work. I think that, that, you know, well, and it, and it's, it's, it circumvents a couple of things. Sorry. It it circumvents, it circumvents a couple of things that scale modelers naturally gravitate to. I think we are more comfortable with an airbrush for the most part. And so establishing those highlights and shadows with an airbrush in just a couple of quick steps you know, and you've got that map. I think that, you know, scale modelers dig that right off the bat. And especially at smaller scales, like 135th, it sort of, uh, it sort of gets you around the, the, the sheer terror of trying to figure out how to paint highlights, midtones and, and shadows individually and blend them together. Because in theory, at least, you sort of have them established already. And there's this idea that if you just use these glazes, it all just sort of takes care of itself, right? And and, and it's important for, for, for guys to recognize that that's sort of like for you, that's kind of a shotgun approach that, that like doesn't even really get you close because you are going to paint all those individual right. highlights and shadows and midtones separately. I think, I think that, that that zenithial, you know, priming approach is a good exercise. It's a good study piece in that it'll help you to train your eye on where to pick up those those shadows and those highlights. My personal recommendation is that that you leave it at that. Uh, you know, for example, the vast majority of, of, the, of the pieces I paint, I spray with flat Tamiya, Tamiya white, you know, just Tamiya white flat. That's, that's, that is my primer coat. Okay. And because I, because over time I've been able, I can pick out, you know, shadows and highlights uh, and then, and, and just work, but I, and I like to work from that white canvas kind of, you know, that kind of blank canvas kind of, kind of thing. Uh, but if, if you're having a hard time, you're struggling with, okay, well, where should the highlights go? Then yeah, that, that black and white technique, you know, can help kind of identify those things. The, one of the, the, the dangers of that is that when you start to glaze on your acrylic, if you're using acrylics, um, you got to remember that that black and white is going to come through. Okay. As, as your kind of base coat. And so you can really, uh, you know, create a mess, you know, by trying to allow the, the, the black and white to be that base coat. You're just going to end up putting layer upon layer upon layer and trying to nullify the black and the white. So uh, in, in my opinion, the, 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 it's a good exercise, but once you're through with the exercise, once you've kind of, it's become a little bit more second nature to pick out those highlights and shadows, stop doing the black and white, just, you know, Pick a gray, pick something neutral, a gray or a white, and let that be your your undertone, if you will, uh, and and then go through the process of picking out 
all the little individual elements and and um, uh, I think you're going to be a little bit more successful, a little bit happier with the overall finish. Uh, I mean, that's just that's just my opinion, of course. But uh, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about the but about the black and white coming through and, and what it's going to do to you know uh, your 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 tones at that point. So, Jim, you you paint the with your base with the flat to me a white is is part of the reason that you're choosing white because it doesn't affect the colors. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to affect it nearly as much. The, I'll occasionally use black, flat black. Uh, but that's if, 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 if I've got a piece that's got a lot of like deep crevices, you know, that, are, that need to be blacked out anyway. And I just know I'm going to fuck some shit up if, if I try to slap in some black down the road, you know, so I'll use that black tone as, as kind of the finish in that particular area, if you will. But for the vast majority of my pieces, I use, I use, uh, uh, flat white. Uh, it, to me, it, it, it brings out a little bit more vibrancy, you know, in, 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 the, in the color choices. I think it, for me, it just, it seems to work a little bit better. The, a lot of guys like to, like to undercoat with black and that's fine. Um, and, and because that will help mute out or really, really, really tone down the overall finish. And depending on what you're working on, that's exactly what you're looking for, you know, uh, the, yeah, if it's a, if it's a green, if it's an olive drab uniform or a German field gray uniform, whatever it is, then having those sort of muted, yeah. desaturated colors is not really. It's a not. It, it actually it actually um, speed but, things up quite a bit because you'll end up trying to get that that muted level down the road when shit you're there already right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, but I'm totally I'm totally with you on the white background because like. You know, like uh, with 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 oil paint rendering that so many of us do, um, it, people you know want to bleed the linseed oil out of their mm-hmm. oil paints, uh, which you know is not something necessarily have to do, but a lot of guys like to do it. Helps them dry faster and a little bit flatter. It's something that Mike Rinaldi mm-hmm. is a real proponent of, and 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 everybody wants to just tear off a little piece of a cardboard mm-hmm. box and use that as the palette for their oils. Because it soaks the oils up relatively Correct. fast. I prefer to use a piece of heavy uh, photo printer paper mm-hmm. because it's because it soaks up the oils too, but it's white. Sure. And so when I'm trying to mix my oils to get the tone that I want, I feel like I'm seeing it more correctly sure. because it's on yeah. white. And so then I can go to the I can take it to the model with a little bit more confidence that I'm where I want to be. So, you know, it's, it's absolutely a, a truth, but this is, this is where figuring out the technique mm-hmm. and how that applies to your personal aesthetic is really important right. uh, because, you know, it, it, like you said, it all, it all stacks up to, um, you know, to a, to a final appearance that may or may not appeal to you. And you have to be able to identify those that's things. That's right. That's right. You, and that's you know we've talked a lot about style and and you've 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 talked about um, you know the difference between American style and European style, which is a subject that I want to cover. Um, something else that I wanted to get into a little bit is um, is hand sculpting versus three D printing. Okay. <laughs> this is probably where we'll get Chris at to actually participate in the conversation. Sure. He's, Dude, if you stop talking very... for a second, I could get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if you turned your if you turned, you just if haven't shut up. 
if you turned if you turned your video back on where we could see you waving your hand oh, you know if, you if i did then i i wouldn't be able to it keeps breaking up that's why i've turned it off yeah i can see your i can see your wi-fi signal's not good so yeah just interject uh, man. just yeah um, well there's something i wanted to talk about presentation earlier i wonder whether the reason americans don't put so much into presentation massively generalizing obviously is because the ipms system maybe and i don't want to like uh you know dump on ipms again but maybe it <laughs> mitigates against it because if they're if your tank or your plane what they're looking for is how well you've built it before they even look at the paint and then how well you've put down the base coat before they even look at the weathering and so on there's no purpose to having presentation and when i see photos from american shows 90 percent, it seems plucking that figure out my ass of uh aircraft and armor it's just the model put on the table there's not even a wooden base underneath it there's exactly. nothing yeah. whereas in europe that's incredibly rare it's like one in a hundred people do that yeah even at ipms shows everyone puts at least a square base underneath it or something right. and i wonder whether it's because it it adds nothing in the ipms system in the u.s to present to present it there's no points for it there's no consideration for it at all I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all you know i know that you know ipms bashing is an entirely different uh, podcast and won't get into it but but yeah that's <laughs> well, i mean it I'm does. Not really bashing it it's just a different system and i just wonder whether that's why people don't I, do I, well i know i think your well. point is very valid in in that yeah it's uh, there there is kind of no point in 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 putting in the effort you know, when it's, it's going to kind of, kind of fall by the wayside, you know, the, the, the judges are just going to you know, say, well, we're not here to look at the base, you know, we're here to, you know, and I've seen exactly the opposite as well in, in that, you know, somebody does a great, a great bit of armor and they just put it on a base with a bunch of static graphs that was never finished, you know, and it's like, well, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, it's kind of a cool tank, but my, you know, I have to wash my eyes now because of the glare coming off of the uh, static grass. <laughs> well, we're not here to look at that. <clears throat> well, how can you not? <laughs> I mean, seriously. And, and so, yeah, it's, it, I think your, your point is very, very valid in that, that we don't, we don't do that because it's not, it's, it just, there's zero value, you know, at a show. Uh, but I don't understand it because, it's kind of like cooking a wonderful, like a, a cordon bleu meal or something and mm -hmm. serving it on a paper plate. You know, it's just, if you're going to go into all that effort to do something that's the pinnacle of what you can do, you might as well at least present it well. Oh, yeah. I, no. Yeah, that's, I concur, think that's a good concur. analogy. And I don't think you're, uh, I don't think you're wrong, Chris. And again, not, not IPMS bashing, but like, I got into a, an argument on Facebook the other day, surprise, surprise, <laughs> with a dude who, um, you? Really? It was in the. I know, right? Uh, and and I and and I think it was even in the IPMS group. This guy said, "IPMS judges hate bases." Like that was literally verbatim his exact statement. And I was like, "Really? I mean, since when?" And he was like, "Well, in my thirty years of judging and blah blah blah." <laughs> Here we go. In my forty years. <laughs> Doing the same thing right, and of course, uh, of of course, that's like waving a red flag, you know, in front of a bull <laughs> with me. Sets me off. But I maybe he was right. I mean, maybe he was right that that there is this endemic sort of, I don't know if it's a hatred of bases, but that basically that culture has just sort of evolved to where, yeah, nobody wants to see them. 
You know, it's like like you said, Jim, that it's just it adds no value. Don't do it, and so we have what we yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. It's the it, 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 you know it's and and when I go to a figure show, you know the looking at the at the pieces. Even, you know, and, and most figure shows, you know, use Shep Payne's, you know, open system. And so you've got, you've got a painter's category and you've got an open category. And, you know, when you, when you're, you're looking at the, the painter's category, the judges are supposed to look at that as just the painted piece itself, right? That, that, that's not, you know, to, to include any, any extras. And, um, but the reality is, you can't help but judge the entire piece, you know, presentation and all. It, it, it's 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 part of the entire piece, from the base all the way to the very top of the, of the piece. You know, how how have you set this piece up? You know, what is is it on a plain wooden base, which is fine, you know, for the subject. You know, it, it, it kind of depends. Or did they did they go that extra mile and create a real nice presentation to complement the piece? There's no avoiding it. There, you, even at a at a at a subconscious level, you're you're going to view. A piece that has a real nice presentation, you're going to look at it above one that's got a poor presentation. They could have the, exactly the same paint on the figure, but you can't, you know, you're just going to gravitate towards the one that has the nicer presentation. It's human nature. You know, it, uh, I agree. It's it's a subconscious thing. This guy that I was arguing with had a. I think he felt like it was almost a conspiracy, though. His his claim was that you know you you shouldn't put a base on there because it just looks like you're trying to distract the judges from your shitty construction. <laughs> this I was, was I was like, well, <laughs> it always comes back to that, doesn't it? <laughs> Go IPMS. Yeah, no. Forget that. Forget that. <laughs> Maybe that's a brick wall we should stop headbutting. <laughs> well, I mean, the Who fact knows? that you, you engaged well, in the conversation is more than I would have done. As soon as that line came out, I would have yeah. been like, okay, <laughs> yeah, all right. I, mean, it, I don't know yeah, when that my was... 30 years comes up. <laughs> yeah. It's like some the other day someone said, in my 50 years of uh, of scale modeling, I've never had to remove the film from a decal. And it's like, well, Perhaps because Edward and HGW only came up with them a couple of years ago. So what's the other 48 years got to do with it? You just wait, yeah. dick waving, basically. Yeah, that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly what it is. So, all right, well, one, 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 brick wall I, one brick wall I continue to love crashing my head into is Chris's resistance to all things 3D. Ah. And, uh, and, and so this is a, this is a golden moment for me and maybe for Chris, I don't know, but because you, you are sort of the rare guy who's done both. Um, I mean, your hand sculpting talent is like, I, I, I think I may be even more impressed with your sculpting abilities than I am with your painting oh, abilities. Cause it just, I, I, it's just, to me, it's like fucking magic, dude. Um, I just, you know, that's a whole other level of talent that I don't think any one human should possess at the same time, but you know, (laughs) it is what it is, but you've also gotten down the digital road. And so I'm curious kind of, you know, what your thoughts are at this point, um, you know, where you're, where you're at with, I mean, I, I, I was poo-pooing digital sculpts, uh, a few, uh, several years ago. You know, I was like, well, I mean, look at this bullshit, you know. I mean, we're going to have a whole nother category. You know, we're going to have, <laughs> we're going to have the open, the open category with the hand sculptors, you know, and then we'll, you know, guys like me, we'll put our stuff in there. And then the 12 year old, you know, freaking, you know, kids from India, you know, with their digital sculpts, you know, that are, uh, you know, it's like, you know, how, how are you going to differentiate? Because the, I mean, there, there are some sacrifices and a lot of work that goes into learning to sculpt, right? I mean, there's, 
from anatomy to, you know, drapery to, you know, layering, all this kind of stuff. And so there, there's, it's a discipline. It's, it's a learned discipline, you know, to sculpt. Um, and, and so it, and, and when I was poo-pooing it, the, the digital sculpts looked very robotic. They looked very unanimated, very, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know. They just weren't very interesting. And, and so, and I was comparing some of those things to sculptors like Carl Reed, who had, puts a tremendous amount of life and character into his hand sculpts. Um, and, and so it's like, well, how can you, how can you compare the two? They're, they're two totally different worlds. But now technology is advanced to the point where you can, you can create a very organic looking digital sculpt that, that can, that can rival any hand sculpt. I mean, you, you, we're seeing it to, to this day. We're seeing stuff coming out from these digital sculptors <clears throat> that are just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, not robotic at all, very dynamic and, 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 and a, a ton of life. And, and, and particularly in the fantasy world, uh, we're really seeing an explosion there. And my personal opinion is maybe not in our generation, but modeling is going to be a digital world uh, in the future. There, the, the, the days of buying a model kit uh, are going are going away. Uh, I think that that the the world is going to gravitate towards the the, the digital world, and you, what you're going to do is you're going to buy a file, you know, and you're going to print model, or you're going to, you know, hire out somebody to print it for you and send it to. You. I think that 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 it's getting to that point, uh, particularly when you when you start to think about all the all the fellas that are out there doing the digital modeling. Um, and there's going to be such a competition, you know, in the digital modeling world, the cost of models is going to go down exponentially. Uh, we're, we're already seeing, I've already had a discussion with a digital sculptor. He says, I don't understand why there's a race to the bottom. Well, the, you know, all these digital sculptors, they're, 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 there's a lot of them are selling their work dirt cheap, you know. Well, that's because there's freaking 300 really, really talented guys out there all scraping for that same, that same bit of dollar. You know, so they, in order Supply to... Supply massively exceeds demand. Oh, it's just... Yeah, it's incredible. It's how these things work, isn't it? And so I, I absolutely think that it's here to stay, and I think it's only going to get more significant over time, which is why I personally said, well, look, you know, you better give us the program, you know, you, you and, and, and start to learn some of this digital sculpting stuff. And uh, me and me and technology, we, 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 we're in constant odds with each other, but... Um, with time, I've, I've figured out how to beat down ZBrush uh, a little bit. And so I'm getting better at using ZBrush. Uh, and, but, you know, that bastard, that bastard, I've, de- I'm determined that bastard's not going to beat me. And, and so, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that I can bring my traditional hand sculpting, uh, uh, abilities into the digital world, you know, and, and, and try to create a, a, a relatively organic looking, looking piece. And, uh, uh, so far, I'm, I'm I'm relatively happy with it. Uh, uh, we'll see as time as time goes by um, how it really pans out. But but I it, it's it's not going away. It's not going away, and it's only getting better. Yeah. No, it's it's certainly not going to go away. And and I, I, you know, I have a I have I, I can totally see why coming from the from the figure world where it feels like you know we're going to replace everything with with digital stuff because i think you're right when it comes to figures and and i think there's a lot of good reasons for that um you know you've got so much more versatility and and the ability to create different you know different poses different costuming all these things different 
characters and to do it much faster and much cheaper. And I think that you're right that you're going to see that that's going to democratize it to a to a huge degree, kind of in the same way that the move from film to digital did in the photography world. And it is it's going to be it's going to be a race to the bottom, which is unfortunate for a lot of guys, and they're going to have to either adapt or die. You know, same 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 thing that happened in the photography world. I I you know I don't think we're going to replace traditional scale models with 3D printed. Or, or digital kits nearly as completely, at least not anytime soon, because uh, the one thing that everybody forgets is that you can't use Tamiya Extra Thin on a 3D printed right. kit. I mean, in a way, it's though, really it's, that... it's already happened in scale models, because 40 years ago, all the masters for a kit, and you can see it in old Hella kits, were handmade. Mm-hmm. And now they're not. Yeah. You know, the the digital design has been, 3D design or whatever, has been used for manufacturing kits for a long time. It's just because the actual thing that comes out the end comes off a injection molding machine, not a printer, people don't realise it. But it, in a way, what's happening with figures is what happened to kits 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, everything from a design standpoint is already digital in the scale modeling world. No doubt about that. I was just really talking about the idea that you're going to buy a file and either print it yourself or hire somebody to print it. Um, Because, you know, having been through several kit design projects and worked with a lot of 3D printed parts and, you know, and and done, done, you know, some of my own 3D printing, there's a hard line there that the vast majority of traditional scale modelers once they really see what's on the other side of that line, they're not going to cross it. From a commercial point of view as well, you can't produce that volume at that cost yet, at least anyway, on a three. We'll see as technology goes. I mean, it's you know, it's it's an evolving, it's an evolving you know technology and potentially evolving industry. Well, you're sure, for sure going to see almost, if not a total replacement, near total replacement of the aftermarket resin business. You yeah, know, that's for yeah, for your for your little gizmos, 3D printing. I mean, you know, we're already seeing mm-hmm. it. Like, I think the guys on uh, on our sister podcast, Scale Model Mojo, were talking about the fact that that 3D printed tracks mm-hmm. for armor modelers is the new Me Too uh, in the scale modeling thing. You know, where it was paint. Like everybody had a print a paint brand. Well, now you know it's like everybody's producing 3D printed tracks and. So that's that's definitely. I mean, it won't happen. be too long until you can go to Kinkos and have something three D printed. I'm not joking. You don't <laughs> think that they're going to do that? Well, I mean, we're going to get into some of the some of the super nerdy nuances of three D printing, uh, where that are going to cause me to say no, not anytime soon. Um, but I totally get why you know why you might say that and why a lot of people will will think that. But for those of us who are knee deep in 3D printing, and 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 I'm curious, you know, your for your take on this as well, James, because you've got your own printer. Yeah, I've right? got a couple. Of them. Of, you so you've got a couple yeah. of them now. Um, and 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 so talk a little bit about your experience with 3D printing and going from the beautiful digital world to the reality of a resin print. Uh, I mean, there is a little bit of a learning curve there. It, it the the learning curve wasn't nearly as steep as I thought it would be. Uh, you know, I think that once you once you settle on 
on what your your overall goal is. You know, I mean, because there's a lot of different machines out there that that print at different resolutions, different speeds. There's lots of different resins out there. And once you've once you've settled on what your your goal is, then you'll 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 get the machine uh, that that fits your goal. And then you got to learn how to calibrate the damn thing. You got to learn how to take care of the thing. You got to learn how to clean the damn thing. Um, you got to make sure that you you take the safety precautions with the resin and all that kind of stuff. And once you've got a, a routine down, it's it's actually not too bad. Uh, the but but you have to go through that process, and you have you know, and there, there's some trial and error there, and, and you have to ask some questions, and and you have to be able to to accept that the the first dozen prints that you do are going to be crap. Um, But then when you start to understand, you know, how things are supposed to be supported, you know, for slicing and, 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 uh, and all that kind of stuff, then you, it gets a whole lot easier. It gets a whole lot easier. And then you start to play around with the different resins and that gets to be kind of fun. Um, you know, (laughs) so what, what resin have you settled on? I'm I'm combining right now, I'm combining any cubic craftsman beige and gray 50, 50. And it's given me kind of this cool, uh, light gray green kind of effect, and then and then I'm adding, then I'm I, I'm mixing that up in one big bottle, and then I'm adding half of that to um, a, a flexible, a more flexible resin, and and so what I'm getting is is I'm getting at the at the end of the day I'm getting a softer, more pliable piece um, because I, the you know when you're when you're trying to print off 90 millimeter you know rifles for example or bayonets you know they're really thin and brittle. And those bastards break at, at the drop of a dime. And so by combining a little bit of a flex in there, um, I'm, I'm, I'm much more successful, you know, in, in keeping things from getting snapped apart. Uh, and to, Very cool. And are you, are you printing mostly for, for master patterns to go on and then cast? Yes. Or are you selling print? Are you selling both. I'm doing both right now. Um, a lot of our kits right now are a combination of resin cast and printed parts because some parts just are, are such a pain in the ass to resin cast uh, that and, and then you end up with this, this bullshit, you know, uh, mold seam, you know, whereas opposed I can pull it off the printer, just clip off the supports. And now the model or the model has to do is fine tune those attachments for the supports and they're done. But they don't have this long, crazy ass mold seam down the length of a barrel, you know, or it goes through an ear. You know, it, it's it's it's. <laughs> and so there's some real benefits. And, and, and recent, we, Mark and I have, have discussed recently advertising uh, custom printing, you know, in various scales of the, of, the, of the pieces we offer as digital. You know, so if you wanted a 75 millimeter piece of one of our, our 90 millimeter, you know, I, you know, I'll scale it down in, in Chittabox and, and print it off for you. You know, we come to terms and, and I send it to you. You know, I, I mean, and... I've got I've got the I've got the uh, the, the Mega 8K machine uh, from Frozen. The thing's a freaking monster, you know. And 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 I was telling Mark that we could potentially get away from resin casting altogether. We could we could sit and I could sit and print twenty figures on that Mega 8K, and and I got to sit down and clip off the damn supports and cure them. But um, you know that gets us out of out of resin casting costing um, significantly. And so, oh, absolutely, and you and you guys are already taking on some of the labor that a bunch of, like I'm sure a lot of scale model guys who get their parts still attached to supports are like 
wait a minute, right. <laughs> you guys are clipping the supports yeah. off. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that's obviously a, a business choice, but um, I don't think you're wrong at all uh, because, you know, if you print 10 busts on your mega and one of them fails for some reason, still got nine, you know, just yeah. throw it away. Yep. Throw it away. You still got nine. And, and it's the same, it's the same amount of labor right. as far as the, uh, you know, once you've got your sliced file ready to print, it's after that point, it's the same amount of labor yep. um, to print to print five as it is to print ten. Well, so, and I asked, absolutely. I asked around to some of the other modelers what they thought about you know uh, kits that were that were resin printed as opposed to resin cast, and you know they're like, well, those damn supports, you know. I'm like, well, look, if I clip the supports off, okay, you'll have to do the fine tuning of the of those attachment points. I'm not going to sit and, and sand down every little attachment point on a, on a one six scale bus. That's just that's insane. Um, and they're like, well, I don't know if I want to do I'll say, well, would you rather clean up a seam line or would you rather clean up the attachment points? Because at the end of the day, we're all models. You know, we, we still need to be able to clean up the part. We still need to be able to dry fit. We still need to be able to prime. You know, it's all modeling. And so, you know, to me, there's no difference between cleaning up um, uh, the, the support points on, on, on a bus versus, you know, the seam lines. It's, it's the same kind of... It's the same basic modeling skill. At least you'll never get mold slip. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing worse than a figure yeah. where the two halves are slightly misaligned. Yeah, exactly. And then the, then there's the trade-off because you're going to lose something in the casting process. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, a lot of stuff, you know, you have to design it specifically for resin casting. It's not truly unlimited. Um, you know, it's it's a lot less limited than injection molding is, but... But 3D printing is just about unlimited. I mean, some of the stuff that, that I've seen, um, you know, like there's a guy uh, who has a little company called Resin2 Detail. He's doing complete radial engines with all the wiring, you know, spark plug wires, all of it in the file. So basically you get one piece and you paint the damn mm-hmm. thing. And it's just amaz- an amazing level of, of, of detail. And you couldn't do that with resin no. casting. No way. No, and there's a life there's a life expectancy to the silicone molds too. I mean, you can only get so many yep, so absolutely. many molds. I mean, that's just the way it is. And we've all we've all seen. I mean, even with my limited figure experience, I've run into that situation where, you know, there's a chunk of the mold inside mm-hmm. that ear, and you you got to figure out <laughs> how to you know how to deal with that. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, you know, it's definitely going to, it's definitely going to change the business a lot. And it's cool to see kind of, you know, kind of have kind of been able to watch as, uh, as you've evolved. Um, and of course I have to ask some technical questions when you're doing it, when you're printing, when you're printing busts, uh, what kind of layer thicknesses are you, have you settled? Uh, on? The, the, on the, the mini 4k, I'm, 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 I'm using the 0.02 thickness on the mega 8k. I think I'm at point zero three or zero four right now i'd have to pull it back up but uh but and i and i have anti uh aliasing you know uh, uh maxed out at eight um there's a i think there one of my buddies just got a machine he's he's has the ability to go up to 16 on anti-aliasing and i think and he's asking me dude how do you get rid of these lines that dude you need to jack that anti-aliasing up you know now you're gonna you and lower your your thickness it's gonna take you freaking four days to print something but i mean you know, that's an exaggeration, obviously, but, but who cares? But, right. Doesn't, but it doesn't, it doesn't right. matter. Yeah. It's, 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 as long as you don't have a power outage, you know, it's a problem with South, Southeast Louisiana, uh-huh. you know, uh, hurricane season can be the wild, wild west when it comes to 3d printing is, 
that shit goes off. Even even with a ge- damn generator, you know, it, it it goes off for for a second. Your your print's done. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's happened. Well, I, yeah, I've been there for sure. I I think you've landed at a spot that I think a lot of other guys are finding as well. That that twenty to thirty microns is kind of a sweet yeah. spot for for figure type stuff. You know, for a long time, you know, you'd see you'd go in these three D printing groups and these guys who print, you know, nothing but figures be like, oh, there's no point in going below 50 microns. And, you know, all of us on the scale modeling side were kind of like, you know, that's not so much the truth. Um, and, and I print just about everything at 10 microns because for a, you know, for a 148th scale bomb casing, you really need sure. that, you know, because, you know, even with anti-aliasing on, you're still going to get some build mm-hmm. artifacts. I mean, y- you may chase them, like like on that bust, uh, the Viking bust, uh, my buddy Patrick Perales printed that one for me on a Saturn at uh, 20 microns, and it and it and he chased almost all of the build artifacts out of it. Did a really good job, but like it still had some layer lines on the yeah. forehead. I mean, because you know, the, no matter how you orient the thing, it's going to um, happen. Yeah. There's a the, Right, there's a point where a spherical sort of surface is still an approximation of a bunch of flat yep. layers, and you're gonna have some layer lines that you have to sand out a little bit. So, I think as long as everybody understands that, you can be pretty pretty happy. Yeah, yeah. So, well, and I found I found that a lot of those lines I paint they paint right out. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, you know yeah, so it's yeah. is it, it's those really big gigantic bastards. You know that you got to kind of mm-hmm. kind of deal with, but the, the small ones they don't bother me. Not a bit. So yeah, a lot of them really do disappear, and I like I struggle with the fact that I, like I work with an optimizer, so I see them all, and I and sometimes I have to just force myself to back away and go, okay, you know, stop obsessing over these layer lines because they're just not going to show. Yeah. yeah, you know, you can you can see them under a magnifier, but they're just really not going to show, and so it's not a big deal. But um, well, look, we have been uh, wearing you out as predicted. You know, we said we were going to do going to try and make it make it like an hour um but um you know here we are at nearly an hour and 45 and and um i i I, you know want to give you the opportunity to close close out with anything you feel like you you should add you know take a minute to pimp your business um sabo miniatures you guys offer a lot of really cool stuff yeah i mean i i I appreciate i really appreciate being being invited to your podcast for sure um but yeah the the you know the the gratuitous plug for Sabo is 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 look go on to SaboMiniatures.com, check it out. I mean we what 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 we do is we our our, our foundation is we import a lot of, of a lot of figures from different different manufacturers. You know and the the late uh, Chuck Robinson had a company called Red Lancers, and he provided that service to the to the figure community. And 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 we in no way shape or form you know think that we're a replacement for Chuck. Chuck was one of a kind and, and he will always be remembered. But when he passed away, you know, uh, uh, that service to the figure community kind of fell by the wayside. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to import <clears throat> all these different figures uh, uh, for folks. And now we're, we've got our own line. We've got about 20 figures now that we offer of our own. And, um, you know, we're, we also have, a, you know, the, our painting academy where we, we put on workshops and we put on demos at every show that we go to, uh, and we're extremely approachable. I mean, we, you know, we're, we're, we're all about community. I mean, we're not, Mark and I are not in this to make money. 
at all. We're in this because it's another facet of the hobby that we, and we love it. And so, um, uh, we don't want to lose money, but, but we're not here to, to become wealthy at all. Uh, we have, re- we have actual regular jobs. And so, uh, but what we're trying to do is we're tr- trying to provide a service to the, to those folks out there in as many different ways as we possibly can. Yeah. Come check us out. See what we got going on. Uh, I'm, I'm always very, very reachable through social media. I've got a lot of guys that send me photographs and say, Hey, what do you think? You know, and I tell them, you know, it's like, okay, man, let's, uh, let's talk. And, uh, um, I can testify know, to that, uh, but you know, I, I'm, I'm not an asshole about it. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't, no, I don't, I don't, not. you know, I had, I had a guy come up to me at, at a Chicago show many years ago, uh, uh, British fella. Okay. This is my, my bash on the British. And, um, he walks up to me and says, 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 you're James. And I said, yes, I am. He says, your work is shit. And he just walked away from me. And, 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 and I was like, man, that, I just couldn't stop laughing. I was like, that was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. The guy had nothing to offer other than to tell me my work was shit. And, uh, and so I, 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 I you know, when, when folks ask me, what do, what do I think? I, I, I tell them. Um, and, and, um, uh, I've made a lot of friends that way. And, uh, so please reach out to us, uh, drop us, drop us some messages, drop us some, some, some emails. Um, if, if we can help, we will, we will do it. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, uh, yeah, I can, I can totally testify that you are uncommonly generous with your time. I mean, that's really kind of how you and I got acquainted. Um, and I know that you, you know, when you have a minute that you pop in and out of SMCG, mm-hmm. And you've been, you know, you've been helpful to me and other guys in there. You've posted a lot of your own work, which is super inspirational. Yeah, thanks. Um, and so I, I, I hope you guys make a lot of money. I hope I hope people get over to, in case you don't know how to spell it, it's S-A-B-O-T miniatures. That's correct. correct. Yeah. Dot, dot com. Um, I, I like to see good businesses get rewarded. You guys are putting, you know, you guys are, 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 are giving into the community and I hope that the community rewards you by uh, coming over and buying some of your some of your good stuff. And um, we just, you know, this has been fun for me. Like I said, I've been, in, you know, looking forward to having you on the podcast. And we'll have to do this again. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of stuff we probably probably didn't even get. Yeah, yeah. So this, is, this is good stuff. We haven't really discussed much at all, really. <laughs> we need to get you back and no. talk some more. We could totally, we could totally, we could totally spend some serious time getting. And, 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 you know, talk about different techniques and different approaches and, and whatnot. I mean, I, I, I love doing that kind of thing. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a great day to talk modeling in my opinion. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, and when, when we're done here, I'm, I'm going to go right back to it. I've got a, you know, I've got a, I've got a box art piece to work on, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of never ending for, for, for me here at Sabo, but, uh, I really do appreciate you guys, you know, invite, inviting me on and allowing me to wax philosophic a little bit and, uh, I really do hope you, you, you reach out to me again. We do it again. That'd be, that'd be yeah, a absolutely. lot of fun. Definitely. It's a great conversation. Thank you. Yep. We have, yeah, my yep. pleasure. Absolutely will. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, All right, James. You guys take care. Hi everyone, this is Chris from Inside the Armour Publications. Like many of you, I've been watching the news over the past few days and have been appalled by the suffering and hardship inflicted on the people of Ukraine 
as they attempt to flee the war in their country. I decided to reach out to other companies and modelers in the hobby and to see if we couldn't do something to support the charities that are helping these people. The results of this is the book Models for Ukraine. The book features only models manufactured by Ukrainian manufacturers as built by modelers from all over the world who have gladly and freely given their time and work to support this charity effort. The full profits of the book will go directly to humanitarian aid. Our printer have given us an incredible discount at less than cost and all of those involved have given their work for free. The only thing that will be deducted from the price of the book is the transaction fees and a small cost of printing. Everything else will go directly to humanitarian charities to support people in Ukraine. If you'd like more information, please go to www.insidethearmor.com. It will be sold there and in other sources as I talk to them, uh, make arrangements for them to sell the book as well. Please do buy the book or alternatively, please do find a charity such as Red Cross, Disasters Emergency Committee or others to do what you can to support women, children and civilians fleeing this awful war. Thank you. Okay, so there we go. I think that was another great interview. James is a super interesting guy and just like really engaging. I mean, he's, you know, he's just always willing to share. And uh, I I mean, obviously, we're going to have to have him back on because there's just so much more that we could have talked about and uh, so much more that, that there is to learn from a guy like that. He obviously really thinks about what he does. And I love listening to people that, you know, that have that level of self-analysis and really understand what they're doing. And he understands his techniques too. I mean, he's, he's dropping some, some color theory knowledge there. And I'm like, Oh shit, man, he knows mm. exactly how to use this stuff. You know, he's listened to your episode. Ha! No, I, have taught, <laughs> I, I have taught him nothing. Believe me. He obviously knows it. Yeah. I'm kidding. He is, he is bizarrely talented though. Um, something that we sort of touched on was the fact that he's getting into, digital sculpting and, and he's mm. like ridiculously good at hand sculpting but uh he just showed me a couple of days ago um a a project that he's been working on in zbrush and i showed the first one to you guys which was just the bust of the civil war guy mm. well the one that i haven't shown you guys is his next project which is a complete head to toe figure and I, it's just like dude i don't I, it's it's incomprehensible to me because you hear about ZBrush being so hard to learn and takes years to master. And in like in what seems like a matter of just a few months, he's doing stuff that's just that's really <laughs> fantastic. Him and Fanch, I fucking hate these people. Like, right. <laughs> I'm like three these hard to learn. That's my excuse not to do it. And they learn it in like five fucking minutes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they came on the same spaceship. Either that or they've got some kind of time machine and they've spent like years learning it and they're just pretending. Yeah, something like that. 
Good stuff, though. All right, well, we got to wrap this up, um, but uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it, uh, and I hope that everybody tunes in for our next episode because it's going to also be a dinger. We've got the always talented and very cool Alex Clark coming on our next episode. So that's and we've already done the interview for that, and it was good fun. He's a great guy, so um, good content coming up as well, right, guys? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'd just like to say before we go, I'm really sorry uh, to all the listeners about missing the last episode and to the advertisers as well. So please uh, accept my apologies for uh, for our absence, but we're back on the normal schedule now. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you were goofing off, so it's all good. No, we all had little things that we had to take care of during that time period. It's not just you. Right on. All right, let's get out of here. Adios, bitches. Pip, pip, cheerio. Get stuffed. <laughs> Chris is here to advertise something at you again. <laughs> He's going to do this voice and then this voice. <laughs> we are so we are so leaving this in. <laughs> I'll put it at the end. <laughs> Brewcutters Union podcast is sponsored by Sticky Glues. The best glues for sticking shit to shit. Only the stickiest glues will stick your shit. Available today from stickyshit.com. That's www.stickyshit.com. Don't blame me if you buy some. Sticky shit, it's what you need. It'll put your shit together with lightning speed. <laughs> we should do jingles. Uh, yeah, I'm really good at jingling. Do you jingle all the way? Nah, I just usually jingle on the way there. On the way back, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs>